And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. Uh, welcome to our August edition of This Old Dungeon. And we have some great guests for you tonight. Um, from their Wednesday night show, Talking Crit, we've got Eric Tenkar and Bad Mike Battleado. Welcome, guys. Woo-hoo. Thank you. And then we'll, with me, as always, are my two compadres. Howdy, this is Edwin. Welcome all. And, of course, Bill has stepped away from the mic, as he is wont to do. <laughs> There's an empty chair. On this program. <laughs> an Every empty time chair. I give the guy an intro, he just he drops the ball, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You need to work with more professional people, Lou. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, Ed, Ed, oh, Ed, yeah, Ed. you know, <laughs> we're working um, on it. What's everybody been doing in gaming? Well, let's start with our visitors here. Let's see what Eric or Mike doing. Mike, you want to take this first? Or yeah, well, I have a sad story. So, uh, I, um, the warehouse where we we game once a month, we're, we're actually playing uh, Greg Gillespie's Doral Deep with a, with a group of five people, and we're having a blast. We only game once a month in our last session. Uh, we found out that we're actually losing the warehouse because they're doubling the rent. So instead of gaming that weekend, we spent the weekend packing packing up all our all our little miniatures and rule books and everything. It was very bittersweet with the DM screen. So so yeah, I'm kind of bummed out. I, I'm, I'm missing have the uh, August. Uh, I mean, we only game twelve times a year. You hate to lose one, right? I mean, yeah. we're not gaming every weekend, so so yes, we spent the weekend uh, packing up our stuff, and now now we got to find a place to game because <laughs> you get five big guys, or actually, there's six of us, including me. I mean, you know, you, you can't really fit in a ten by ten room. You got to have a place to spread out. So we're gonna have to do a little. I'm a, I'm the DM. I'm gonna have to do a little work before next session to find out where we're gonna go, but. Um, we're having a blast. We're playing a uh, 2E rules, um, but we play it very old school. And uh, um, it's just everybody plays a dwarf character because it's dwarf, it, it's a dwarven. Uh, they're trying to free this dwarven. Um, oh, I don't want to give too much away. Basically, there's a there was a evil dwarves took over the dwarven kingdom 200 years ago. And you're trying to uh, liberate it now. And so um, I, the first time I've ever run a party where everybody's one race, they're all dwarves. So it's, it's been really fun. That's cool. Cool. Uh, you say it's once a month, so you guys do like marathon gaming. You do like big oh yeah, yeah. sessions. Yeah, we get there about ten in the morning. Uh, of course, you know when gamers get together, you got to BS for like an hour, <laughs> right? Because nobody nobody's ready to roll. And then uh, we we roll till about seven at night. So yeah, we we have a really long. We take a break for lunch. It's it's fun. We have a great time. It's it reminds me of the session. Now when we were a kid, we would have twelve to fourteen hour sessions. So you know, just fueled fueled on uh on coke and you know. Chips and, and coke. Oh, yeah, that, exactly. that coke. Okay, <laughs> it was the eighties. I did. I was just making sure. It was only sixteen when I started. I mean, what was it? Snorting coke? No. Okay. I'm. I'm just like. <laughs> so, Mike, yeah, Mike, are you the kidding. forever DM for your group? I am the forever DM. Yes. Oh, None man. of those other lazy sobs will. Will um. Eric knows what that's like too. I bet. I think Eric's the forever DM. For no, 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 no. So now here's the thing. Like currently, uh, we we the gaming group, which is, and you might these names might be recognizable: uh, Matt Jackson, Tim Shorts, uh, Greg Christopher, uh, Joe the lawyer, uh, Rob Conley. So this is our uh, Roll Twenty Discord group. So right now, Joe Joe the lawyer is the one running AD and D two E by the book, but 
uh, almost two dozen pages of house rules. It's by the book. <laughs> except that no one knows how to play it. <laughs> except it's two dozen pages of house rules. That's the book. <laughs> that's 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 the book. So that, that's twice a month. Uh, our last session was canceled, which was actually fine. Because the last uh, session would have been Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. I was still recovering from my Monday. Um, not least of which was the sticker shock of the price of a plumber to come at night to clear out sewage. Oh, oh yeah. And that's not a role play. That's not a role playing game that I want to repeat. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, I play with people that are like, basically game designers and uh, creatives. So, generally speaking, every six months or so, we, we, unofficially, it's like, all right, Joe's taking a break. Tim will step up, or Tim's taking a break. I'll step up. For the longest time, I was the, the designated DM for years, not just in my old group in high school and college, but on Roll20 with most of these guys. And then uh, when it reformed, it was like, oh, we're rotating. and This is fun. They're all great GMs. So they, everybody challenges each other to some extent because – you like you know those rule discussions that you'll often have with your players when everybody is a GM, everybody <laughs> argues it well. It's not just the player trying to go, well, it should work this way because it's best for me. It's like, oh well, Greg makes a great Greg's opinion is actually pretty darn good. But then Tim is arguing my point, and Tim's point is pretty good. Holy crap! So <laughs> that's it's that kind of a, a situation. And honestly, if we live close together, we would be in person. Uh, I will say that uh, with these personalities, you need video. <laughs> so you can make fun of people like Matt. Matt, we always make fun of Matt Jackson. Sorry, Matt, if you hear this. Gosh. It's rough. And, and when you guys switch off DMs, do you also uh, you, you continue with the same characters? No. It like, no like it's always, you know, no? Greg, Greg ran Aliens. Uh, Rob was running like Rob was running uh, play tests for a lot of his uh, material so it's basically he was using like swords and wizardry but his majestic wilderlands hack to it so if I run stuff it's probably going to be either swords and wizardry light or continual light or maybe uh, if I'm looking to jump into and play with a different system uh, open d6 or something like that we always we always take the and, and actually there's more than one game going on per week i can only handle one so there's 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 right, other that's the the, the penalty of being retired you just don't have enough time for gaming i guess uh, I, I blame people it's like true. mike you know I, I listen i do three live streams a week and plus videos plus blog posts plus uncle duties plus wife duties so you know husband duties whatever you know you, you're just caught you're caught in that trap yeah, I, I had more free time to game when I was retired, when not retired, honestly. But I'm not complaining. And you, you're bringing me down here because all my life I'm telling myself, oh, once <laughs> I retire, now you're saying it's not going to be. Yeah, once you retire, and here I am gaming every other week. And it's like, wow. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it doesn't work that way. And imagine how it would be if I was actually like playing MMOs like I was 10, 15 years ago. Then that none of the, you know, you got to make a choice. You know, are you going to be creating videos? Or are you going to play games? I mean, that's the <laughs> oh, choice, well, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I collect way too many games. That's, uh, I I have the uh, 
I, I still have to unwrap my Star Trek solo RPG, which just shipped and arrived yesterday. So I got to check <laughs> that one out. But yeah, maybe, maybe I'll get some solo gaming in. Right. Yeah, that's the ticket. That's the <laughs> ball, 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 over sleeping. Well, Baldur's Gate 3. You're another uh, and, uh, retired individual's gaming life here. Uh, Bill, what you been up to? Well, oh, hello, everyone, by the way. Sorry, I ran away during intro. Um, <laughs> we got you covered. But, don't worry. Yeah, I think I can't wait to play that back. Um, so, uh, not not a whole ter- ter- terribly a whole lot. I uh, I transitioned back from our Florida place up back up to Michigan, and then we went on a, a basically a two week trip to Europe. Um, oh God! Uh, the whole family went to uh, went to France and then to Italy. So um, got back from that and right back into it. We got a big Kickstarter we're launching. So I did actually speaking of solo play, I did play some solo D and D. Um, I'm kind of doing a forward for our new big solo book in there, and I want to make sure my history of kind of classic solo stuff was accurate. And and I pulled out some old TSR solo modules just to refresh my memory on a couple of them. And caught my next cool. thing you know, I was playing through Lathan's Gold. So, okay. uh, oh, lovely. Like, yeah, this is great. So I did get some sort of gaming in, as it were. But uh, but that's it. But uh, otherwise, we're we're knee deep in a, a launch uh, week from Tuesday. Speaking of solo, is a a massive solo adventure project. So awesome. What's that's where I'm at. Blue. Uh, so um, went to Gen Con uh, and uh, despite what you've seen um, this time around, I had a, a, a just a total blast, but I avoided the convention hall. Uh, the hotel spaces <laughs> where <laughs> most of the games were running were great. The, uh, the Lucas oil stadium play space was, was great. No crowds, no big deal. It was just the convention hall that was a meat house, man. It was just like wall-to-wall people hmm. almost all So you time. went to a convention but didn't go to the convention. <laughs> well, but but see, that's the thing about Gen Con is nowadays, uh, unless you're doing like one of the major tournaments or you want to see the vendors, everything else is, is off in the different hotels. Um, so like all the games you're playing RP-wise is, is off that space and, and it's not that bad. Uh, and they had a variety of stuff this year, whereas the last couple of years, uh, listeners will know I've always bitched because it's the last few years it's been like nothing to do but 5e uh, in, in, in uh, collectible cards. But uh, this year they had a pretty good variety of stuff, and I really had a good time. Okay. So, cool. so you didn't go to the vendor hall at all? Uh, so I, on Saturday I went through it uh, one time, every row, every uh, column. Uh, it took me about an hour and a half to get through there. It was you know, you have your people with their, you know, wagon full of kids and your guy carrying, uh, you know, his oversized giant Warhammer 40K uh, chainsword uh, buff weapon and all that crap that's taking up all the space. But but I made it through and I made it through without hurting anyone or cussing out any kids. <laughs> uh, didn't buy anything I, all the way through and just wow. come find out the one wow. thing I really wanted they're sold out of. Well, we wrapped up uh, with Sean Kelly from formerly of Gaming and BS. We wrapped up our Impossible Landscapes um, Delta Green game, which was uh, a trip and a half. So that was uh, that was a year long. We played for about a year and. Uh, uh, every other week so 20 20 some sessions and then we had a really nice uh wrap-up conversation of sort of you know what were we feeling about it and what did the module actually have in it and how did that relate to what we played and you know where did we turn left where he where uh, sean was expecting us to turn right and all that and it was interesting to uh 
sort of dig into how each player and uh, the GM think differently, I guess, about what we're, why we think we're there and what we're trying to do around the table. So it's sort of the opposite of a session zero. It was a yeah, <laughs> the looking backwards instead of looking forwards. Um, but that was a that was a fun game, and it was nice to sort of tie that one up. Um, On the last I, episode of this old dungeon, you had uh, said that you're you you might all be dead. That, that you kind of left on a cliff. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's still it's still um, that actually did not get completely clarified. Uh, <laughs> at least one of the characters is still alive and institutionalized, and we think the others probably aren't but we left that decision off screen so we actually don't know um we can each pretend on our own what happened in that in those closing scenes um but i think they didn't have much chance so so that really was kind of the end then you guys kind of just met to kind of wrap up loose ends yeah. and talk about okay yeah then, yeah that turned out to be the to be the end of of play and then we yeah we met to uh look backwards over it and stuff and figure out where we, why we'd done what we'd done and that kind of thing, uh, which is not something I think I've really ever done before. You know, I, like after a con game or after a play test, you sort of do a little bit of that, you know, maybe 10 minutes or whatever. But this was, this was a couple hours of, wow, you know, sort of looking over our notes and looking a little bit at the published adventure and really kind of digging into uh you know sean's gming and like you know how what he might have done differently and our playing what we might have done differently and it was uh it was kind of fun it was a it was a good exercise i could i could see doing that uh more often uh well not too often because you need to have a big campaign i guess to, <laughs> to to get some kind of a retrospective like that but that was kind of fun um i had a one shot of vason uh, last weekend which was super fun that i was uh, playing in and uh, that's also an interesting game um it has these uh among a lot of other things it has this sort of what they call i think countdown which is basically events that occur no matter what more or less you know so it's sort of like the idea of having a living dungeon or whatever right so there's things that are going on in the background but what we were talking about afterwards, because I'd run a game of Vason with countdowns, it didn't work very well. And then this this friend of mine had run one. And there's this sort of disconnect, I think, between what the author thought the speed of the adventure would be, right? So you sort of picture, well, it's going to take them a day to do this, and then they'll go do research for an afternoon, and then, you know, three days later, they're whatever, whatever. And so the countdowns are sort of set up for some amount of time but then the play in game took a much less amount of time and so it's it's hard i was thinking about that calibration idea how do you calibrate your what you think is going to be you know what the what the what the characters are going to spend time wise versus what the npcs are spending time wise or whatever you know sort of that that guess um so that was kind of fun to have to like have them have the countdown trip via player action like as soon as they start investigating this happens or as soon as right so some yeah and that that makes sense for some of them you know to have certain events right if they if they uh you know if this npc is allowed to do blank then that trips this next thing and so forth um and that but some of them also seem like they should be off 
on, you know, if there's been 24 hours for rumors to pass from the village out to the outskirts of town, then blah, blah, blah. So in that case, there's sort of a reward to the characters for moving quickly uh, because they don't trip those things. You know, they get in under the radar, but then there's the penalty that because they moved quickly, they probably also didn't gather as much information Mm-hmm. as they otherwise might have so i think that's sort of the balance um on that that front i guess but yeah that's been a couple of my game and stuff recently it's kind of fun well you know i know we got some uh listeners that maybe don't know mike or don't know eric so uh i want to take some time kind of ask you guys some questions kind of let let you have a, a chance to to tell people about yourselves and all the things you guys do because you, you both have a, a half dozen or more things that you know you're out there uh, doing in the in the space of role playing, um, why don't we just start with uh, how did b- both of you and you can decide who goes first? How did you guys get into the hobby? Uh, it was a it was a rainy day. Oh oh oh, jeez, Mike! I've heard this story before. No, <laughs> not the, we're not talking about the day you were born, Mike. Oh no that that was a uh, no, that, that was a horrific day. It was, uh, you know, For everyone earthquakes, uh, you know, <laughs> volcanoes. Uh, well, I, Eric and I are kind of the same age. I'm I'm sixty. He's fifty six. For those who are interested in old two old white guys have been playing forever, and so I, I so my I I remember extremely well. How I got in the game. It was I was six sixteen in high school, and a friend of mine he uh, uh, moved to the neighborhood. He was. You, you were frozen briefly. Internet, it's saying my internet connection is yeah, uh, yeah. okay. It says my internet connection is unstable. So, thank you, hotel, for having crappy internet. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it, anyway, he he told us about this new game he played up in Maryland, where he was from. He moved to Texas and uh, called Dungeons and Dragons. So we went into a hobby store nearby, and my first two purchases were the uh, Holmes Blue Box and the uh, AD and D Player's Handbook. Oh, and the Monster Manor too. The Monster Manor was out at the time. So it was a player's handbook. DM guide was not out yet. It was not out for another year. So, um, yeah. And we were, uh, we, we, we pulled open the homes, read the rules, ran through B1, hooked, hooked forever. And then, uh, and then I thought, oh, hey, advanced sounds better than basic because, you know, <laughs> back then, you know, you know, what did we know? And so I, I, I took time to read, read through the player's handbook and I said, oh, yeah, wait, wait, hold on. This is, this is much better than this basic stuff. And, um, uh, that, that was it, man. It was, I think it was about 1979 or so, so 78, 79. So yeah, we were hooked. And the next every every weekend for the next few years, we were playing D and D all day long. You know, 12, 12, 14 hour days, just you know, throwing the dice. So, um, and there, and then that was it. And then we were, I was hooked forever. And we played every TSR game that came out. And then we started. We would play stuff like RuneQuest. I mean, anything that came. That's what's different about today. That was and then back then. Back then. You had to learn all these different systems. Now everything's 5e compatible or whatever compatible. Back then it was completely different systems. Villains and Vigilantes was a completely different system than RuneQuest, which is a completely different system than DD, which is a completely different system from Boot Hill. I mean, it was you had to learn all those systems. Traveler well, was completely different. Even even AD D was like seven different systems. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> so uh the, the the great thing about your story, Mike, is that. I mean that for all of us in that in that mid fifties and up age group, that's the, that's you could replace Mike Bottolato with any of our names, and we all virtually have the exact same story. We're in our te- early teens, and these games kind of came out. We knew somebody who picked one up and figured out how to play some way somehow, and brought us in. And that's 
it's a it's a shared memory experience no matter where you were in the country it was the same thing going on all over the place well you you, you got to remember cool. how, how different things were 45 50 years ago there was no video games there was no cable well there's very few very little cable tv there, there wasn't the kind of distractions we have now there was no game box right. boxes or no xbox i mean nothing like that so when you discovered dnd it was like this whole world opened up to you this new world that you yeah. didn't know about i mean there, there was just they weren't advertising on television or anywhere i mean you didn't know that dnd was a game unless somebody introduced you to it or you walked by the store and saw the brown box or the white box or the rules yeah. and so it's you know there wasn't any other there wasn't anything that cool i guess that's the way to put it. there was nothing else that <laughs> cool back then for guys like us who liked fantasy and liked loved conan i loved conan the barbarian and elric sure. and all that stuff I mean, I mean so there was nothing else like that when you found it it just blew your mind and you just couldn't stop playing it whereas now there's so many draws for people's attention you know i, I mean if i was a kid now and i was just i, I mean i would probably probably be playing more Xbox than I would D and D. To be honest with you, because there's a lot of great console games out there. I mean, the Baldur's Gate game and just the stuff coming out now. I'd, I'd probably be playing that with maybe a little D and D on the side. But um, there's just there was just nothing like it at the time. Nothing where you could actually say, "Look, you're Conan the Barbarian," or "You're Gandalf," and, and people would just blow their minds. They're like, "Whoa, I can play Lord of the Rings." You know, that's awesome. And you know. It just changed. Now it's changed. Now, now there's just it's everybody's jaded. There's too many. You know, is it VR? No, it's not VR. I don't want to play it. <laughs> I don't want to play that. Yeah, not graphical enough, man. Not graphical. Enough. Does it have color art in it? If it doesn't yeah. have color art, I'm not going to buy it. No, the no. black and white stuff looks like crap, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I I got introduced to it. I I believe it was uh, Christmas break of sixth grade. My friend Kenny. Uh, my best friend at the time, and we're still very close friends. Um, he pulled out this book with a demon on the cover, a Freedy, I guess, <laughs> right? It was the DM D DMG it had just come out, and it was the only book he owned. So he went to a different <laughs> school than I did. So he ran me through this homemade adventure with my fighter Cyrus. And I, and I realized years later it was because Cyrus Vance was a member of of I guess uh the the Jimmy Carter administration and I just like the name <laughs> Cyrus. So it was kind of cool. So figure that one out. So after the adventure, and this is when phone calls weren't like you didn't get unlimited calls. He had to call a friend for 10.6 cents. I still remember because we were told how much it was costing to make yep. a phone call. Um to find out if I leveled up. And then I was hooked. I was I was like, oh my god, this game is amazing. So my birthday was the following July, and I I wouldn't stop talking about it with my mother and my father and how great it was. And my parents, God bless them, bought me the player's handbook, the DMG, and a high impact set of dice. I think were Coplow dice or something like that. And uh, I didn't have a monster manual, so until I got the Fiend Folio like a year or so later, my players crushed every adventure I did because I thought hit dice were hit points. So <laughs> so ogres were four plus one because they were four plus one because they were only attacking as a four hit die creature, not a five hit die creature. I didn't understand it. But I Fiend Folio explained awesome. it. But um that to me like now now Kenny left gaming behind in our teens, but for me it was something that enabled me to find friends in junior high school and high school and college and make these 
timeless bonds. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I hung out with my uh, group from high school and college. There's five of us. There were six. We lost one in 9-11. And that's the reason why we get together every late spring, early summer, is to remember Paul, but also to remember the bonds that we had by gaming. We talk gaming. I give out gaming material. I always bring some games that I have. But we don't game. We just drink and 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 bond. That one hour before your session is like a six hour hangout, including dinner. But <laughs> that's the, my old skip the gaming part. <laughs> yeah, you know. But that's the, these are the guys that I, you know, went from being a teen to a man with. Went from high school through college. We gained right up until I uh, finished the police academy, because then I didn't have weekends off and I was working evenings. So I, I had these schedule that nobody could work around. But um, I think well, I was said, both both of you, I think uh, Bill sort of said, you know, that, that that's that's a pretty common story in some sense. But both of you have also uh, brought some business uh, aspects to your gaming. Right. I mean, both of you have sort of at some point uh, at various points, at several points, uh, both of you sort of decided that there was some some professional part of this that you wanted to uh, to engage in. You want to talk about that a little bit, both how do you how you got started on the business side of gaming and also what do you do in those spheres? Oh, I mean, in my case, I was the 17-year-old teen. I wanted to design my own fantasy board game, right? That was kind of RPG and wasn't. And I was all psyched about it, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was always interested in the design aspect. And... Uh, when I retired, a mutual friend of ours, Zach Glazer, uh, I was bouncing the idea of, wouldn't it be great if the OSR had a rule set that could be viral and kind of like dropped at a game store or at a library and it could fit on two, two sides of a sheet of paper? I mean, I had these imaginings. And then that, uh, was, that was before you started podcasting and stuff? Um, that was before I started uh, podcasting. Oh, okay, I, okay. I, I was I should say I, I was podcasting uh with with Vince Florio yeah uh, brainstorm podcast but that wasn't really commercial that was just ha- goofing off and having fun okay um the, actually uh, the, producing the blog was that already a thing the blog was going on for the last mm-hmm. dozen years or more uh and the blog has its own history because when I met my wife Rach when we were dating and I was trying to get back into the gaming hobby, I was reading all these great blogs. I was reading Rugnardia and Bat in the Attic and Joe the Lawyer's Wondrous Imaginings and uh, Joe Block's Greyhawk Brognard. And, and I was getting excited. Blogging was such an easy thing that you could get into. And I had just gotten back into gaming via VTTs when I met Rach. And I met a woman who told me on a Saturday night, Get take me home because you have a seven o'clock game. <laughs> and I went, You are serious. A keeper. Yeah, a keeper. Yeah, it's like you are really serious about this. So she encouraged me to blog. So I got into blogging. And then from the blogging, I got into uh the anchor cast to the end. I mean, I, again, I, I did uh, with uh with Vince, with Glenn Halstrom, with James Bond. Uh, we did uh, Save or Die for a while. Um, but that was not my own projects, right? When you're, mm-hmm. when you're doing somebody else. So 
once Anchor came along, I started doing the Anchor stuff. And I just was talking with Zach about this idea of, of this viral OSR rule set, very light. And he was like, I like that idea. Let me think. Let me think on it. And then he came back with, if you could build it off the swords and wizardry core rules or white box rules, what would you do? I go, I dance and scream and, and be terrified. <laughs> and that's basically what it was. And uh, that was the genesis of that uh, between Bill Webb and and Matt Finch giving me the blessing to, to play in that sandbox was awesome and amazing. Um, and then the Anchor cast, which Anchor was becoming fairly big. And I, could say, I, I was watching other people do it. And I was like, I can do this. I don't need to be technically smart to handle this because I'm really not anymore technically smart. And I have learned one thing about myself. If I want to do something on a regular basis, it's got to be daily. It's the reason why uh, the podcast and then the, the YouTube has a daily video going up, whether it's a recorded video or it's a live stream. That's what a blog, I blog six days a week. I have uh, Chris Stockel on, on Sundays. So it has to be something that is a regular routine for me or I, the way I'm wired, it won't work, which is probably why as a retiree, I don't have all this free time because I need to have this structure going. So uh, I've, I've, I've published a zine, I've published Swords and Witchery, Continual Light, which is going to come back as Continual Light once we figure out this whole uh, OGL mess when it comes to the uh, original SRG oh. 3.1. Well, if right. that never shakes out, then I'll... It's, it, I actually have my, my proof copy from uh, this past fall, but I, it's like I don't... You don't want to just toss it in and then go, oh, well, now that's good. That had a short life. I, I, I like it too much to to do that so but yeah i i do stuff that i enjoy and uh i'm not in it for the money yeah <laughs> if you were in for the money it, it's a losing proposition anyway oh, hold on there's no money know. there's no money in gaming there is money in gaming we've seen it all right, you can, like five people in the industry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you can look at Donald right now. I'm I'm making my prediction that's going to come in around two point one, two point two million when it finally uh, settles out. There is money to be made in here, but I've got a decent pension. I, I can do this for fun. I don't have to do it for a business. When you do it for a business, it changes how you you, you it has to. It changes how you look at it. So I'm happy to be able to say I, I do what I do for fun. And I reinvest my money back into other projects, into the community. You know, uh, Mike and I love to do our giveaways when we hit certain numbers. Uh, and when there's uh, stuff going on in the community where people have GoFundMes, like Darlene or others that have had health, health issues, I like to mobilize the community. And, hey, listen, I'll match the first 250 that people that are watching this video, you know, or reading this blog post will tell me about. Tell me what you tell me what you, you sent. I'll match the first 250. They get more value for the money. The person in need gets more value, and I'm giving back the community's money anyway because it's probably coming from my drive-through monies. So it, it, it's all it's all a wash. What about you, Mike? You've got a couple of uh, avenues of gaming business rolling along here. 
Well, uh, next year also I will celebrate 30 years buying, selling, and trading online. I, I believe I was one of the very first people to ever buy, sell, and trade online on the old AOL forums in 1994. Uh, it was me and Jason Zavoda, who sadly passed away the last couple of years, and then a, a Dragon's Foot guy. No, no, sorry. Dragon's Trove. Dragon's Trove. I, I can't remember the guy's name. There was like uh, five of us. Sage's Guild. And we bought, and I was really surprised one day to, to log into the forums and find out that players' handbooks were selling for $50 to $100. I'm like, I've got like 19 half price books in my area and those are all of the shelves. So I, I ran around to every half price books that weekend, bought a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff and flipped it for like, you know, a thousand bucks. And I said, I'm hooked, man. I, I'm this, <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know this old gaming stuff is worth money. And so I did that for quite a while. I was one of the very first people on eBay when that started in 98. Um, I didn't do a lot. Of, I did mostly comic book conventions. I'm a huge comic book nerd. I did a lot of comic book conventions in the nineties when they had the big comic book, craze and everybody was you know going crazy with that and um and then uh the second thing to change my life was uh that was the the sam um that's where i met people like bill and other collectors i didn't know there was a big collector network but we went on the uh how do you what do you call it bill I, the km the sam i mean i there's like five names for right. it I, right. I everyone really pronounces it a km acm i mean it's yeah. a, a km you know it, i mean everybody knows what you're talking about but yeah but I just celebrated 20 years there too. I was surprised. I looked at my date I joined and it was uh, yeah. July of 2003. So I'm so I met so many people there and pretty much. I mean, you know, that that's just my core group of dudes. I hang out with conventions now with people I knew back then. Hardcore, yeah. hardcore collectors. So. Selling uh, books the way you and Doug met. Yes. So, yeah. So um, that's, that's going to segue into the only important thing I've ever done in my life, which is North Texas, because <laughs> I was, um, Doug joined the AKM and uh, he uh, he was selling white boxes. He had a bunch of extra white boxes. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy your white boxes. And I found out he lived in Arlington, which is about 30 minutes, not even 30 minutes south of me. And so we met up and I found out he fixed computers and stuff. I never, never met the guy. Nice dude. And then the next week, uh, a lightning bolt hit my house, <laughs> fried all the electronics in the house, including my computer. And so I'm, I got, I mean, everything's on my computer. It's dead. And of course, at the same time, I had my hard drive plugged in, my backup, and that's fried too. So everything's gone. And so I, I just called this dude up that I met and he says, yeah, I can get it. I can fix it. So he hooks it up to some machine that does some magic and saves <laughs> my hard drive and puts it into another computer. Then give me the computer. So here, here's a brand, here's a new computer. And I'm, I mean, just a, the nicest guy ever. I was like, this dude's awesome. And so over the years, you know, we became friends. We talked and and I would, uh, I went to um, end up going to Gen Con in 2007, 2008, had a blast. And I didn't play in any organized games. We just kind of hooked up with guys like Ben and, or I'm sorry, but Bill and, you know, just uh, Bill and then Bill Meinhart and uh, Mark Greenberg. I mean, all these dudes, you know, we just kind of hooked up and I said, this is, this is awesome. That was that, uh, the first the km dinner back then right yeah the km dinner yeah rascal or whatever on the wednesday night before yep, the, Ger the german place yeah it was it was great and so it was great and then we, i went back and told doug this and he got all excited about it so we need to have something like that here and so we had like i don't know you call it game day we went to doug's house and he fixed barbecue we played games it was just local people and then he's like you know we should do like a little mini con thing where everybody gets together i said sure you know that that sounds awesome and then the next year rolled around. It's about February, and he calls me. Goes, "Hey, we're going to do that minicon thing." I said, "I guess." I mean, I, we haven't talked about it. He said, "You think we could do it in June?" I'm like, "February, March, April." I was like, "I <laughs> guess." I don't know. <laughs> so, time. so we put out the word, and it was mostly just the KM members. Um, uh, Bill, 
Bill was there. Bill was one of the first. He was at our first convention. We had 55 people. Um, we had a we we asked local local famous people to come. So uh, Jaquays was local. Um, Dennis Astaire drove from Austin. So we had some kind of local people. And Doug just said, well, let's just ask some other people too. So he he paid to have Rob Coons, Frank Menser, and Tim Cass fly, which was awesome. So we had this little tiny convention with a. Uh, uh, you know, with some pretty big, big name guests. And uh, oh, and Jason Braun was a guest that year, too, because he was local. We knew him. So we had him drive up from San Antonio. So so those were our guests the first year that we had uh, Al Silcock flew in from the UK and yep. Je Jeff Emery flew in from Canada. And yeah. I remember I remember Bill had to make a drive from Florida. Some crazy. You no, know, I was I live, in I live in Michigan, but I was in Memphis at the time for uh, I had a big project going out. Memphis, yeah. And um, it just all worked out. Um, so I drove down and it was it was amazing. And uh, it was cool because literally it was it was a kind of a, a came convention because it was funny. Like there were like 20 guys fairly active on that forum at the time um, that were from Texas. <laughs> it was yeah. just that you guys called yourself like the North Texas Mafia or something like that. Yeah, right. I remember J Jason Zavoda flew in that year. Actually, Doug helped him fly in because. Uh, he, he knew he was my yeah. friend. So Jason came. I mean, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Are, are, oh, it's amazing. Are, you can't believe, you know, um, Alan Groey was there. Uh, John Hirschberg. I mean, just Hirschberg. guys are still there. Uh, Matt Finch came there. He ran his first yeah. ever game of Swords of Wizardry Light. First Attica, time I ever played Swords of Wizardry. Wizardry me too. We're in the same yeah. game. We're we the played same Spire of Iron and Crystal. It was me, you. Yeah. Dr. Joe, uh, Dennis Astaire, and some Astaire. some dude that I have no clue who he is. I've seen pictures of him, and I have no clue that dude I got to pull that picture. We have a picture of us. Yeah, playing. we have a picture of him. Yeah. And Matt Finch ran the game in a closet. You remember it was in a closet? Yeah. Because we were room in a small like six room. six by six. Yeah. It was insane. We had a La Quinta, and we, we got the room that could fit four tables, and we put one more table in the closet. <laughs> and so we just crammed in there. The room they pulled up, yeah. Uh, it was the room that held all the tables. So mm -hmm. they pulled all the tables out and put them in the big room. Yeah, there you go. You got an extra room. <laughs> put this on. little round table up in this little closet, and we played Swords of Wizardry. Yeah, it was that was. Yeah. I was hooked, man. I played Swords of Wizardry and uh, Spider Man and Crystal, and I remember um, Matt had brought a bunch of games, and we he sold every one of them. He brought every room. I, I he bought. Had. I bought the rules, mm -hmm. first print rules, and I bought the the module. I still yep. have them myself too. Yeah, because it was yeah, just never it's great. So, so we had a blast, and then we said, "Well, we need to start doing this every year." And then it just got a little bigger every yeah. year. You know, we went from like fifty five to like eighty five, then one hundred and ten, then one hundred and fifty, and and now uh, we're to year fifteen, and we're you know we had a uh, our largest attendance ever this year. We had over five hundred. Um, but that's been that's been my signature move was uh, helping Doug with the North Texas RPG Con. Now uh, Doug passed away a few years ago, but uh, uh, myself and his son David and our friend Gary Oliver, who's Doug's best friend, we run the con now, and uh, we've done it for the last two years. And had it's it's just run rolling along. Uh, we're I, having no no problem doing it. We're going to keep it small. It's going to be about five hundred people, uh, maybe six hundred in the future, but right now five hundred and. And uh, we have the most amazing guest list for that small convention you'll ever <laughs> see in your life. Uh, we've yeah. got some of the biggest names in gaming that come every year for our little 500 um, gamer get together. And so, uh, I, I yeah, that's... Going, yeah, I think going back to Edwin's question too, what where I'm getting from it too is there's a lot of us in that kind of realm of like, we, we wound up doing something business-ish related to the hobby. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's by accident. You know, it's... I think for a lot of us, it was a way to stay in touch or get re become reacclimated to gaming. Right. Because a lot of us, I mean, I, I can't speak for, I, I had a fairly large gap 
you know, mm-hmm. probably 10, 12, 15 years where I just didn't game at all. And uh, that kind of brought us back into it. And then these opportunities were there. It's like, wow, you can actually do something and, you know, make some lunch money and, and go to a convention and do fun stuff. And uh, it gave me the excuse to actually go to some conventions where I started. Well, look at, so, look at all, look at the five right? people here. We, we all have, our relationships yeah. the five people i mean 100%. i know I, I know yeah. eric because eric i read his blog and then when we met in person and then we decided that we thought each other were pretty cool let's do a, our show together so now we do a show over we haven't missed a week in three years and then yep. I, I met ed because i met bill at our third convention and he was crazy about north texas and so uh, he came every year and then he ended up hiring Zach after year five or six. And then Zach said, you need to come work for Frog Guy because, you know, this and that, because I'm here. And I'll, I'll go with you. And then, of course, Ed Ed was helping him work on his. Uh, you, you whisper whisper about death him? and taxes. Or death uh, and taxes. Yeah. Death and taxes. Yeah. And then, of course, Bill, I've known Bill since I knew you all from online, but I met, you know, met you obviously at the first convention. And then Lou, who I've known for the shortest period of time here, but I feel like I've known Lou forever. And I met Lou at the convention at North Texas, you know, he, he shows up and he's, he's Lou and Lou's the most outgoing, coolest person ever. So, you know, you start talking to Lou and you're like, Oh, this guy's awesome. So I mean, look at these, I mean, this just relationship. It's like, uh, you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. You, yeah. you, you meet these people and then you have these lifelong relationships. You know, I mean, the other day I couldn't believe that I'd be on the academy for 20 years. I'm thinking, that's how long I've known guys like John Lyle and Bill Barsh and Bill Meinhardt and all those guys. I mean, I've known them for 20 years. That's where we met was on the AKM. But then it's then crazy. We... It's there. There's a, yeah, there is a neat little function on their, on their forum thing where you can go in there and pull all the members and then you can sort them by date. Like when they first signed up, mm-hmm. it's really crazy to look <laughs> at like the first 50 people that were forum members or hundred people and how many are still, we still talk. We might not even yeah. talk on, oh, yeah. on the AKM. I mean, I, I know a ton of us are never even go there anymore um, or rarely stop in, but we see each other conventions now all the time or and, 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 and other things. So it's, it's just, it's not just, I mean, we're, we're actually, these people are friends. We're friends. Now. Friends. I mean, we, right, we've had lifelong friends yeah. through this. And this is the, what's great about the whole hobby as a whole is that, you know, I was telling you about the first time I ever played D&D, the, the three guys that were my original group, we still play D&D together. My brother, Dr. Joe, and another friend of mine named Doug, we still play together and we're, they're in my Doral Deep group. So that's what's the really cool thing about our hobby is that we have these lifelong relationships that yeah. just last forever and ever. And hopefully that's something we can pass on to other generations. I mean, it feels like, it feels like it's, you know, it's so different now because I was saying before is, um, about how there was nothing else, and then there's D and D. So you want to play D and D, and then you find out there's Traveler, and and you can play, you can do sci-fi. Then you find out there's Villains of Vigilance, you can play superheroes. And nowadays, kids, I mean, you can you can find a computer game that can do anything a a, a role playing game, a paper role playing game can do, but better. But it's not the same thing, right? I mean, you don't have you don't have the same kind of relationship playing oh, computer game cool. online, the even a co-op, co-op computer game that well, you can I- doing something in person. Yeah, I mean, kind of bringing all that together with with your show, like you tech, you guys, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of why we're here talking to you is, is you're talking crit show in that um, I know you talk about like we, we're, we're a show that there's, you know, a format without a format kind of show. But really, I think what you're seeing, what we're talking about here is your format is, you know, you talk about things going on in the OSR, but you bring them from a viewpoint of guys who have had this long experience and know so many people right your, your points of reference 
are <laughs> you know what? yeah okay some of us old guys um your, your point to reference for us in the way you talk about things and relate them back or forward um i think is what a, a lot what makes your show really successful and i think that is your format i mean um i know you have your you know what's up in gaming stupid which is you know well, uh, fair, <laughs> fair part of the show <laughs> lately is watching not you know 24 7 but I, um but I, so. I think i think another thing about our show too is we, we talk about current events of gaming and we have a certain perspective to it but we're also i don't i see a lot of shows like that and they're really old person reactionary like old good new bad ugh, you know everything and and eric and i, I we're both not like that because i i'll give an example though um Eric told me uh, last year about this game, Shadow Dark, and he's telling me, so, oh, Shadow Dark's cool, man, you got to check it out. I'm like, it's like some 5e game. I, I don't I don't care about this stuff. And then I read it, and I'm like, okay, it's brilliant. It's awesome. I mean, Kelsey's <laughs> Kelsey's great. And so then we talked to Kelsey, and Kelsey's awesome. And we, you know, and so we're, it's not like we're opposed to anything new. We like to consider all kinds of stuff. And I think that helps us a lot. We don't, because I, I know a lot of shows that are, I guess OSR type shows where, like I said, it's old is good, new is bad. Urgh! You know, well, Thaco sucks. New, you know, two E sucks. I, 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 you know what, Mike? I think I want to tie this all back into the fact that that you guys, it, you're, you're current, not because you're just trying to see current online and see what's going on, but you're current because you guys attend still attend game conventions two or three yeah. a year. And what that allows you to do is actually, again, what we just talked about, you actually get to talk to people face to face. There is a big difference in being able to do that and catch vibes and see what's going on than there is just like watching YouTube videos all the time. So your perspective is is not just your like maybe some research you might do or seeing something pop on someone else's you know news feed or something, but you actually get to go talk to people and see people, and that that's something I think that your show conveys really well because you you a lot of times you know the people you have guests on your show. I've been fortunate enough to be on there. And that relates a lot better, I think, to your topics. And you can talk more, um, you know, current events-wise that way. And it brings just a different perspective. Yeah, and I think the informal status or nature of our show is is a really a boon. Because, I mean, we've had uh, – I'm not going to embarrass any of, the, any of the people that said this to me, but we've had people who are f- frequently going on to different shows because – they, they come out with new releases and that's part of the circuit and they'll come on with Mike and I and and at the end they'll be like, holy shit that was the best experience I ever had. You ever <laughs> want me to come back? I'm coming back. This was no stress. This That was two hours plus? It seemed like we just got on. And that's because we liken it to hanging out with friends mm-hmm. at your local pub, at your bar having a conversation that may get heated at times but in the end, you're all just there to just enjoy the enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy each other, and have some fun. Yeah. And I we think that that comes across when we when we have our guests because I think I've had one guest that didn't loosen up. They almost always loosen up because Mike and I just keep it very loose. And, and like your local pub, we're loaded half the time we do the show. So well, we I used to be more loaded in the past. <laughs> I'm always I'm, I'm always drinking whiskey during the show, but. Yeah, the, Eric's right too because we're very, very informal with the show. Because we we would talk about beforehand, we would be working a convention together. Like, okay, if we had a show, what would we do? What would we not do? 
Oh my gosh, I tell you what we wouldn't do. We wouldn't do what every other show does. And, you know, basically, what's, you know, just do this rote thing or what's your last project? What's this? You know, we, we're just going to start throwing stuff out there and see what happens. And we're not asking the same question. We're not going to be gentle. We're not going to shy away from, I mean, we've said, I mean, there was a guy on the show once. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was, he was doing a Kickstarter. And I, and I, I said, look, the, your Kickstarter is not going to fund. Can we talk about that? Because it wasn't, you know, because you can look right. at numbers at a certain point, your Kickstarter is not going to fund. And I just thought we can't ignore the obvious here. This thing right. is not going to fund. There's a week left and he needs like, you know, $30,000, whatever. And, and to his credit, I can't remember who it was. He talked about that. So, well, you know, this, that, but yeah, I don't think, I don't believe in shying away from stuff. We don't do promotional stuff. And, and as Eric as I said before, we don't do interviews, so to speak. No, we don't really oh, interview. God, no. we, we just invite you in. Like we have some like Alan Hammock or Zeb Cook. We just invite you in to start talking with us. We're not doing an interview of you. You know, we're not going to say, oh, well, Alan, tell us all about your days. At, we'll just ask Alan about whatever. I mean, especially if it's something <laughs> embarrassing, like, you know, so you were in a hot tub with the chick from Babylon 5. Tell us about that. You know, <laughs> just to, of course, Alan's not embarrassed by that, but, you know, so. Right, but yeah, um, it's funny too, Mike, because well, you know some of the criticism that we got when we had Kelsey on from Shadow Dark were people going, "Well, where was the interview?" And it's like, yes, yes it's true. like, it, but but why, why is have, Mike talking so much? Michael, yeah, why is Mike? Because because <laughs> it isn't an interview. It, it's no. it was three people sitting down and learning about each other and learning about Kelsey, but also her learning about us. She was asking us questions. Mm-hmm. So and and that's what we really enjoy is that atmosphere, that relaxed atmosphere. So you know, most of the, you're right. Most of the guests that we have on are people that we personally know, but even people that we kind of like know from the fringes. You know, the the green room time, like the ten fifteen minutes beforehand, <laughs> is to get the get the nervous jitters out and just let them know. Listen, we curse. So if you're offended by cursing, <laughs> what you actually curse, I can curse. Yeah, you can curse. You can say whatever you want, except yeah. for forbidden like YouTube words, which are like only like two of them. And one rhymes with a baseball term, which I won't even mention. Just by mentioning. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, just but it rhymes with a baseball term. Um, the Irish use it. Um, but the thing is, this whole way, we we want our guests to want to come back. Uh, we want people who go, oh, dude. You ever need you ever need a last minute guest? Just give me a call. I'll I'll I'll, I'll make the time. Well, I didn't expect that, but all right, great because they were a great guest and they enjoyed themselves. You want them to enjoy themselves when they're on the on show. We're, we're having the five of us right now are having a good time. We all know each other, but we're having a good time because it's a relaxed atmosphere. It's when you get to uh, you I, ready to lay the hammer down, Lou. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got shit hey, to do. I'm just saying, saying here. Like, you know, uh, can, can I can I mention a scripted show? Can I mention? Am I allowed to mention? Tim and Robin talk about Tim and Robin talk about stuff. Is the most scripted show. It's usually up for an any. Uh, <laughs> tell you what, an any the innies, the innies. But yes. it's a it, it is a scripted show where I'm expecting them to actually be holding a script in their hand, not just that they planned it out. It's like, well. Oh, you missed you you missed your line there. You you shortened it. You went you didn't go by the script. Um, Mike and I we spend our week going back and forth talking about the news cycle in the OSR and gaming at large, but there's no script when we come on. 
you know, where, where it goes, it's a hex crawl of of the live stream. Or, well, that's what happens when you get the most organized man in the world. Uh, oh, know, wow. Part of your, part of your team. Come on. <laughs> I'll never, yeah, I, I see, I never I mean, forgive that. To me, that, I mean, that. you're, you're hitting it, uh, you know, for those of you listening that haven't, you know, spent a, a Wednesday night with uh, Eric and Mike, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's that, that pregame, you know, hour, two-hour bullshit ses- session that we all have. Uh, it's all friends hanging out. There's the the banter between them and their guests, and there's the banter on the chat, and oh my sometimes God, yeah. they cross back and forth. There's running jokes. Uh, I mean, it's all the stuff that just uh, makes you feel like you're hanging out with your good buddies, and that's a that's a magical uh, space right there. I think. Yes, we're doing a good job, Mike. <laughs> I think we're doing we're giving doing the Lord's work. Uh, well, we were going to say earlier about people coming to the show. I, I don't. I think we could have Skeeter on every week if we wanted to, couldn't we? Because at this point, <laughs> he just wants to come on and, and and bitch about something. So yeah, Skeeter's one of our people that we if we have if we can't have it. Oh, we only want to let's just get Skeeter. Let's get Skeeter's up for this week, and he always has a ridiculous take on something. So then yeah, we're we're always giving stuff like that. So so uh, b- before we move on to our our letters, because we got a few this week. Um, so, Eric, I know you got continual light that you're kind of holding on to, still yep. kind of deciding when you're going to drop that. I, anything else in the works uh, outside of, you know, the the many, many, uh, um, uh, what do you, what do you call They're streaming shows, right? That's how you'd refer well, to I, I, I stream three days a week. I put up uh, pre-recorded videos, the other four. Uh, and I put up a blog post six days a week. Again, Chris Dockel has Sundays. Thank you, Chris. He does a great job. And I like having additional voices, which is why I love having co-hosts in my live streams. I, I Nobody just wants to see me. I, mean, I don't. <laughs> um, I, 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 I like a little bit extra. Um, once Continual Light comes out, we'll probably uh, start work on the next issue of Torchlight. Um, Mike and I have talked about other projects, but this whole OGL thing, put a lot of things that were in the works into the, and on top of that, the whole AI thing, right? Because now it's like, oh, okay, can I use uh, maps generated by the one-page dungeon app? Can I use that in a product on drive-through if it's AI art? Is that AI art? Is it randomly generated? Where does that fall? So things have to sort themselves out or be a bit more clear. We're not, the world is not very clear in our corner of the universe right now. So still a little fuzzy. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that. Sit back and, and, and What's wait. the eight ball say? Future unclear. Check again. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, the haze is still, still out there. You know, it's that hurry up and wait. You know, we we're we're at that waiting aspect of it right now. Well, yeah. everybody's, got, everybody's got to wait to see where the 800 pound gorilla of Watsi is going to sit until we know where they're with their stances on. on. I mean, yeah, yeah, until yeah, next year, we're not going to know anything until next but year. Watsi so. doesn't know where they stand. No, they, of course they, they, have, but, they, yeah. they stand however the wind blows. Oh my God, people are getting upset about, well, put out put, put out an, uh, an update, put a DD Beyond, but make it an image so people can't copy and paste it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Mike on the spot. So you, you I mean, obviously we've got NTX coming up next June, which would be absolutely ridiculously amazing. Um, our 16th anniversary, which is gonna be so cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, you you have kind of mentioned it around a little bit, but I don't know if you're ready to tell us. You and Tom Wilson typically do an adventure module every year, um, which you obviously stole the whole concept from me, but that's okay. Hey, um, thank you. 
but <laughs> well, but I'm looking forward to because I love love reading these. So are you are, are you ready to talk about what you're going to do next? Yeah, year? well, well, Tom. So it's more like every other year because we 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 can't because uh, Tom. Tom does the lion's share of the work. I'm just the pretty face. Tom does all the hard work. And I mean, he, he does all the layout I and mean, everything, but um, yeah, we started years ago. We, we wanted to, we both love basic. We both love a uh, Mulvey cook basic. That's, that's probably my favorite system ever um, for those. But it's really surprising when you learn there's only about five modules written for it. It was B one through four, then X one and X two. I don't even think X three was a, was a basis. I mean, there, there's very, float is a floater. They've got yeah. a several floaters, but yeah. B, B5 was kind of a floater too. X, yep. uh, but yeah, it, it was a very short-lived system, but it's a it's a great system. And so we, we came up with something called Basic Expert without using D&D, obviously the title, so we wouldn't get trolled from the Watsi overlords. And and we wrote, we we had a, a map from uh, Charlie Phipps, who was a old-time D&D guy, and he'd drew, drawn a map of the Caves of the Unknown, which is something that's marked on the B2 map, but not described. And we asked if we could use the map. He said, well, I wrote an adventure for it. We're like, uh, what do you think? Can we use the adventure? And, and he donated it to the con, which has been great because uh, we printed up B2.5 Caves of the Unknown. And uh, Charlie wrote the lion's share. Um, I wrote parts of it. Uh, Tom wrote the other part. And we're in our third printing. Our first printing was 250. Then we had 150 for our next part. So we've sold, you know, almost a thousand copies of B2.5, which is great. But then, so then we did X1.5, which is a takeoff on Isle of Dread. Uh, Tom and I both wrote that. Um, and then uh, last year we had a B4.5, which is a an addition to the B4, the Lost City. And that was our most popular whatever. We sold out with, we sold out 200 copies. Um, I mean, we're sold out. We have, don't have any left, which is amazing for a small print, to not advertised at all module. And so, so now we're down like, okay, well, what have we done? We've done X1, we've done B2, we've done B, you know, so we're kind of limited. And of course, um, We'll talk about this in the, later on the show. My favorite module of all time is B1 and Search of the Unknown. And I said, well, we can we, I said, but what to do a sequel to that for years? And I've had an idea about the low, the lowest level, because we there's two levels in B1. Well, um, when I used to run the module, I, I had in the lower level. I said, let's do a lower level. Tom loved the idea because Tom, Tom loves B1 too. Also, also not B1, B, he loves B1 also. And um, yes, that we're going to try to get that ready for next year. Um it's kind of a compressed timeline. We'll see. And Tom is the busiest man in show business. Holy Let me tell God. you, that, that guy has he, he so many projects going on. So if we can work it in next year, we will have uh, our B1 sequel next year. That's what Tom and I awesome. work on. Now, I, I, yeah. I'm absolutely here for it. Anything B1 is. Are, are you at a point so. that you can give like kind of an elevator pitch for, for where you go from the original B1 to the, the concept? Yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, I can because I, this is an idea I've had for years and years um that and the tower but somebody's already stole the tower idea because if you look on the back cover b1 there's a tower that's not mentioned in the module i always had an idea for the tower and then like five people wrote adventures for a tower yeah. for b1 so i'm like well that ship sailed um no there, there's a uh, uh rokon and zeligar actually came back after their uh ill-fated trip to the barbarians um zeligar the about them i feel like they should come back so yeah I'm they came back they came back Zeligar, uh, they found there was uh, there was a lower level, the, the below the lowest level, and there was some ancient ruins in there. And so he went exploring, and um, th there's some hints. We'll probably talk about this later. There's some hints in B1 that Rogan and Zeligar weren't really good guys. They they might have not been. They might have been evil. I don't know. They weren't like really PCs. good dudes. <laughs> and so he finds a um, 
he finds an altar there and uh, bad things happen. And so, so it's, it's closed off from, and so when you're going through the uh, one search of the unknown, uh, you can find a, a trap door or a secret entrance to the lowest, the lowest level. And I think we're going to end up calling it um, um, below the unknown or, or, or something like that. It's going to have unknown in the name or the unknown unknown underneath is the one I like right now. So maybe unknown we'll underwear, unknown under. Yes. And and there's a but there's also a, a for the original B one there's a back entrance that goes into the lower level. Well, there's also there's also a back entrance here too that you can find that's at the base of this cliff. So there's two or three different ways in. So you don't have to play it as part of B one. It's going to be it could be its own separate adventure. But if you know B one and you love B one, you played it. There's going to be a lot of um, Easter eggs in there that are going to because you know I I don't I don't Tom and I have been very careful about not actually using. Um, um watsy's or, or tsr slash watsy you know na proper names and stuff and so that's 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 the nope. trick is yeah we've bill's done, we've done like yeah. six or seven tsr sheeple modules and the trick is always avoiding stepping on their id right. um, or, or, or if you do it you don't do it in a way where you uh you're not going to draw they're not going to yeah. right yeah. You like, do like, like the diecast guys did a few years ago when they put advanced D, &D on the top of their yeah, module, yeah, that, which it, was not yeah you can't do that that was the in that was the inverse of trying yes. to step on someone's so idea. so what we 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 would just we vaguely refer to things that have happened in the tsr slash uh Watson, yeah. but so this will this will have a lot of easter eggs those so you'll know who it is and you'll know what's going on and, and you'll know where it's it where it is and uh um yeah it's in I, I pitched the idea to tom and he loved it he's like oh my gosh that's so cool um we found a free map online because we're cheap and we we actually we use a lot of stock art but we actually uh, uh matt ray has done all our covers done a great job actually i'm sorry he didn't do b4.5 he did first two and we, we usually have a um a an original back cover and then we have couple of pieces of original art but we use a lot of stock art because we're you know working on a budget this all the money for these goes to the uh con goes to north texas so we donate our time and and uh and our money and then uh um we pay for a little art but mostly it's you know we try to get this done as cheaply as we can and it, which works great because then the modules look like original modules that came out in 1980 because they're cheap it, it, but they're not it, it, slick at all you guys do a great job marks yeah, you guys do a great job. They're exciting, and I'm excited about the. I, I, I have I thought all be, all so. three of the mobs we've done. I've been very happy with. I, I I like they came out great, and I think they look they look. They do. I, I remember we got a review from the uh, the the ten foot pole guy, dude. I, I can't remember his name. Oh my god! Bryce. So he so he did a review. Yeah, Bryce, Bryce did a review. I've, I've met Bryce. I'm okay with Bryce, but he's I think he's a goofball. Have to. He's a good guy. He's actually a good guy. But uh, he 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 had. He did a review of our module. didn't Didn't really like B two point five, but and then I wrote him later. I said, "Well, I don't want to pitch for a better review, but I just want to let you know everything you hated about the module is is how we that's we wrote the module exactly for that reason. It's not supposed to be any kind of original kick ass module. It's supposed to take you back to nineteen eighty, and this is the kind of module that would that would have come out in nineteen eighty. There's no newisms there, no cool, you know." stuff that happened, you know, that Raggy puts in his stuff. And there's nothing like that. It, it's, this was all an homage to the, a certain time period. And so that's how I was trying to, you know, so it does, we're not saying it's a, it's a, you know, great kick-ass, awesome work of art. It's just something that takes you back in time. And, and yeah. through the years, we've had enough printings of the modules and sold so many that I think people really get into that. and think that's really cool that, Hey, this, this looks and feels like an old school module. They're great touch points. Uh, before we get into the letters, Lou, I want to I want to make sure that um, I do my I, I, I had some homework from last time, um, and it was the uh, 
finding the tournament description for Lady in Distress at Gen Con 1981. <laughs> um, and I did. I, I I pulled out my program, and, I, and these guys are all you can't none of it. All you listeners can't see this, but they're all snickering because I I sent a, I bombed them with uh, photos of the different things from that program uh, a few days ago. But I'll I'll, I'll read the description uh, to all our viewers here or listeners. Uh, Top secret tournament one one five six one one six zero. Those were the uh, registration numbers for the tournament. All we can tell you is that the tournament is brought to you by the guys who gave you Rapid Strike. Uh, the rest is top secret. The rest is top secret. Winners will be picked uh, by a point system. Judges Mike Carr, Corey Kopernick, and staff. Experience level three. RPG members only. It was run Friday at one and Friday again at six. Uh, again, they had four-digit uh, numbers, 1156, 1160. Uh, I won't bore people with details, but you used to have to buy tickets at Gen Con for events, and you would do it by using those numbers, not the name of the event. And they had the most massive pegboard you had ever seen with all the tickets up on this pegboard wow. when you bought tickets at the actual site. And you would tell them what number you'd want, and they'd go up, and it was I wish I – I don't think I ever took a picture of that, but it was insane. <laughs> um, and that's how you would get your – $2 ticket to event. So there was no description for the event. They just said it's a top secret event, uh, which uh, suspiciously to me reads like, we don't know what we're doing yet, but we're getting there. <laughs> well, so, it makes it even um, funnier that, that they bothered to write it when they did write it with the twist, because it's not like, like they're pretending you know, that you're going to have the yeah. description and you're going to prepare something and then they're going to switch it up on you. But in reality, yes. You know nothing. You just show you up. Know, you don't like even know that. Characters go right. You exactly. don't even know. You right. Exactly what they said in the module. You wouldn't have known that going in because they didn't tell you. And what they did yeah. tell you is we have no idea what we're doing, uh, yep. but we did rapid. But we're going to do something. And it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So well, thank you. So there it is. That's that's the description, and uh, uh, that's my homework. So I, I did get back around to it when I got back in town and all that. It was it was fun going down, flipping through the program anyway, checking out the. Uh, what went on um, for all you dragon bone collectors? It was twenty nine ninety five. Oh my god! That was that's a fortune. That's a fortune back then. Right. That's Dude, what I said, Mike. I couldn't afford one. Bucks. I could. I couldn't even get one. No one could afford one. Nineteen eighty one. Thirty bucks. Holy shit! That was that was dinner for three days. <laughs> we that, was, have, uh, that, was, that was my week rent. Yeah. <laughs> we had three I've letters. One in real but, life. But oh, sorry. Go ahead. If I remember right, it 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 literally just has like the the outcomes listed in like a little little light that lights it's a, it's up LED, the outcome, right? LED lights. There's, there's like yeah. 20 LED lights. I, I think it went, I think it had all the like D4. I can't remember for sure. I think I had D4, D6, D8, D12, D20. And you just, yeah, you selected you how many of the lights to use and it would just, and it was just, yeah, the, the little red yeah. light would go up and down and just stop on a number. And that was what you did, rolled. Did it have it like was, one of those really cool, like, you know, early stage sound chips in it that like made like a horrific <laughs> dragon roar. That I think like so. I, on a chalkboard. I, I thought I, I, I distinctly remember walking up to the booth and them selling them because everyone kind of went, it was electronic, right? So mm -hmm. there were no electronics in gaming back then. So that was the big draw. And I, I distinctly remember walking up to the booth, looking at it, trying it a couple times and saying, no fucking way am I buying $30. <laughs> I want to roll I were rich. <laughs> Not Howard Hughes. Come on. I wish I would have bought ten of them at this point, right? <laughs>
But uh, anyway, yeah, you guys can move on to the letters here. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. Yeah, so we have three letters and one uh, personal communication. I'll start here with uh, John Williams, who wrote to us last time as well. He says, uh, have any of you all run a mafia-like organization of NPCs based around racial clan families like the Dwarven Mafia, Halfling Mafia, Gnome Mafia? Etc. No, <laughs> I don't think I have either. I mean, there's always been this sort of uh, interspecies tensions and sure. so forth. But in terms of having like organized crime com competitions no. between them, I've never done that. It sounds no, like I've, fun, but I'm it sounds like fun. That. But I yeah. might danced around it a little bit, but not not no. Mostly the gnome mafia, I think, is the one that actually that, that would be awesome. <laughs> that's going to show up i think at some point that's pretty good well in my, my, in my uh, camp in my campaign world halflings are scumbags they're they're sleazy they have they have litters of about 15 and and they're just all into crime that that's they're just the sleaziest scummiest things ever so they're kind of a crime and every halfling's related to every other halfling somewhere you know are they like, organized they enough to be okay. uh, organized crime mike, or? mike is about to be canceled all right it's just we all know where we're going here that's right. Mike, Mike, Mike. <laughs> uh, no, I, I did I did not I didn't use the word I used to refer to them as uh, which is you know which is the Roma, but we used to call them, but oh, um, no. no, I used the word no, not, not gonna use that word, but <laughs> yes. So people, hard to still. people well, might have some editing like, to do on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well when they say, Oh, I'm a halfling, I say, Well, you yeah, know, all, everybody hates it gets released in October. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be okay by then. <laughs> get a month or so. So, All right. so well, thank the answer you. is no. Apparently. The answer is no, I think. But uh, thank yeah. you, John. I think that sounds like fun. Sounds uh, like fun. Banjo Destructo wanted to let us and the listeners know, quote, Welp, I'm tickled pink. Goodman Games has put my PDFs on their web store. I just wanted to share this. Hope you are doing well. Destruct And then in parentheses, this is from Lou here, That's I think, letting us know what's going on. That uh, Destructo has submitted six issues of the Dungeon Crawl zine, uh, Dungeon Crawl Companion zine, to Goodman Games, and it's up on their store. Uh, so if you're into a uh, little dungeon crawl, check that out. More power to you, brother. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah. I don't own them yet, but uh, looking through it, uh, it, it looks kind of cool. It looks like he's he's kind of trying to get a little bit into the AD&D space with dungeon crawl, because dungeon crawl classics is more of a, a basic feel to it, uh, the way it's yeah. aligned uh, character classes and races, right, right. you know, classes as race. Um so it's, it's it looks like some interesting uh, territory to explore. So good on cool. you, and uh, you know I encourage people to go check that out. And see if it's your jam. All awesome. right, thank you, Banjo. And then uh, Jonathan Sullivan writes, "Hi, gang. I enjoyed your conversation about art inspiring an adventure and the suggestions for how to do it. I thought you'd be interested to know that Dungeon Issue Forty Nine, September October nineteen ninety four, did just that." After bumping into artist Valerie Velusek at a con and hearing her lament about how artists always have to interpret other people's words, editor Barbara Young commissioned her to do a series of illustrations, then had some writers, Paul and Sherry Colota and their son Todd, interpret the illustrations into an adventure. The result is a charming, musically-themed adventure called Castle of the Blind Sun. And before we talk about it, I just need to apologize about any of those names that I screwed up. So, <laughs> Yeah. That's Any of you know this? Our, uh, yeah, that's a really good adventure. That's a very good adventure. Yeah, that's a that's a. I, I was a big Dungeon Magazine aficionado because it was two E and 
back that was when I was going to college and I didn't have time to write anything, so I, I would borrow a lot from Dungeon. But yeah, Castle of Blind Sun's a very good adventure. Yeah, well, thanks, Jonathan, for like yeah. filling us in because we talked about yeah that we might we were thinking about something like that. And it's of course there's no new ideas here. Everyone's doing this stuff, but yeah. none of us sort of. Well, it's neat to see someone pulled it off, right? Exactly. So, exactly yeah. what we're talking about, yeah. And then, awesome. uh, so, uh, well, we'll ask, I'll ask that afterwards. Uh, so, Lou writes, during a chance <laughs> encounter at Gen Con, Michael A. asked if we knew of any game systems that handled vehicles well. He suggested having played games like Shadowrun, using boats in basic D&D, and the rules for cars from the old top secret game that we had just talked about, that all the rules he'd seen were either too clunky to give the thrilling feel of a high-speed chase or naval battle, or were so simplistic that they weren't any different than a character swinging a sword. He also wanted us to review a TMNT RPG book sometime soon. So I, I think the I think there's two, in my mind, there's two pieces there. I think chases are difficult, and then there's vehicles maybe vehicle combat and whether that's a spaceship or a naval ship or a you know car wars Man, car whatever it is so i think there's two separate pieces we could talk about there but it's definitely a a thing that has not shown up a lot i feel like in a really good way in a lot of rpgs it's i think it's tough to do so my yeah. when, when i was when i first read this i got you know halfway through that question my mind right went to before he mentioned it my mind went to top secret i know probably because we just reviewed it they the, the original version does have a pretty decent car chase driving section um it's a little convoluted now the new top secret new world order um spends a lot of time and does an inordinate uh, now i'm screwing that word up inordinate yeah. amount of space talking about car chases and they do a really really good job in that rule set with that um, I'm not familiar with other rule sets that really do it well. I mean, seven, maybe yeah, because I, I just not, probably not familiar with it. Because seventh edition Call of Cthulhu made a, I'll say, a okay. valiant effort at coming up with good chase scene, uh, chase rules, and they do have some of the stuff in there that you really want, like the ability to throw obstacles in each other's way, and yeah, you know, some of that stuff. But it's, I feel like, at least for most of us, maybe just because we haven't played it enough, it's just a little too clunky to get the adrenaline pumping. You know, well, the same way that some big tactical combat, like it, like it, it transitions from you're you're making a little bit of a transition here, right? You're making a little bit of a transition from a role playing game to more of a board game style, like Car Wars, yeah. uh, kind of wooden ships, Iron Man. You know, well, the same those, thing that happens when you get into games. combat, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. and and when you think about combat rules, there's sort of you know, a, a game like just to pull one at random, Pathfinder or three five or whatever, you know, where the combats are slow, you gotta think about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of discussion about the rules, and your adrenaline is is rarely gonna get going. You know, yeah. maybe when you see that 20 or whatever. And then there's also cam combat rules that are simple and fast, and you're like, oh my god, boom, 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 which has mm -hmm. the energy of a fight, but doesn't have any of the simulation of the tactics of a fight yeah, yeah yeah and i think the same thing with a chase like you can either have something fast and loose where you can have a high energy chase or you can have something with a lot of features to it and then you're gonna slow it down Agreed. so it'll be an interesting story but not adrenaline filled and then vehicle right. combat as we said is i think is a different yeah. We can talk about it but yeah. a different thing mike and eric you guys got any suggestions for games that yeah. have good uh, vehicle rules 
I mean, I look at games like Car Wars and, and Battletech, and these games have spawned RPG-ish parts to right. them. But, and that yeah. makes sense because you are building down. You take an RPG and tack on uh, vehicle and chase rules that are going to be perfect. That's an afterthought. <clears throat> Just like uh, Mech Warrior was probably an afterthought to Battletech. Sure. Um, you know, it, 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 a game is going to be focused on what it is focused on. It's going to do something really good. When RPGs hopefully do role-playing really well. But they're probably not going to do other aspects. But the DM then has to fill in the blanks. If you're really saying it's boring, well, then maybe your DM is boring in how they're explaining the whole chase scene. I, I, well, I, I would argue like Car, Car Wars, um, uh, I would not call a good chase game, right? I mean, it's 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 a combat, it's a combat game. game. It's a combat yeah. game. Have any of you played Gaslands? I've no. seen it played. Mm. No. So that's one I was super curious. I remember when the Kickstarter came out for it. It's basically, you know, it's a matchbox car based car wars reinterpretation. But it definitely plays faster than car wars. That's but I feel like it's a lot faster like than, car than car wars. <laughs> there is a new Kickstarter right now that has something to do with I don't think it's car wars necessarily like, but it's it's car chasing battling thing. Hmm. I've, it keeps showing up on my Kickstarter feed, and of course, now I'll probably look or my Facebook feed. Now I'll try to look for it, and it won't pop up. <laughs> but uh, if it does, while we're talking, I'll, I'll mention it because I believe it is some sort of car chase ish game. You know, you know what a good vehicle, a good vehicle uh, game is. I forget the name of it, Mike, but it's got those uh, horse drawn chariots that go around in a circle. <laughs> oh, Circus Maximus! That's that's a, that's great. But yeah. there's there's it's some good chariots. Rules. That's awesome. Well, the, you know the, the thing about it's funny because. Uh, this reminds me of, of wrestling in, in AD&D about how nobody ever gets it right. You know, the there, there, rules, yeah. There's there's yeah. no good system for, for grappling or wrestling or fist fighting in D&D. Yep. You just pretty much have to do it yourself. It, it, it seems like there should be, though. I agree. Oh, Dungeon grappling from Doug Cole. I mean, there have been uh, a lot of swings. At well, the, well, there is now, but that's, that's right. only and like I, what, yeah. what, five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before, before we that, get down on nothing. that rabbit hole, I, yeah, but that that's a rabbit hole of all rabbit holes. But I, I just think, again, we're talking about uh, there's a mash between role-playing game and board game when it comes into that kind of thing. And I think that's sometimes that can be very difficult to do. Like what Edwin says, what do you want to get out of that right. situation, right? Do you want do you want the um, battle aspect of it or you want more of the evocative, fun nature of what it could be? And I think that's a very complex thing to do. And I, again, if there might be a system out there that does that, I'm not real familiar with it. Um, other other than, like I said, I know the new top secret New World Order does a, a, a nice job of it, a real nice job. And it's quick, it moves along. But uh, again, cool. I, it's 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 also, it's, it starts treading into that board game feel, for sure. I'm, I'm with Edwin, though. That's the best car chase I ever had was a Call of Cthulhu game. I don't, I don't know if it's because the options were so limited. I mean, you're just driving a Model T. There's not a lot you can do. But we had a, <laughs> but no, we had a game where the Tommy guns and yeah, they were they were throwing yeah. dynamite. They were actually gang. It was gangsters chasing the the characters, and they were throwing dynamite out the window. And the rules covered it. I mean, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah this and and so yeah, and they of course they wrecked their car eventually. But you know, they blew up the other car with the dynamite. And it was it actually worked. So I, I don't know. I maybe just don't have much experience with the call through the rules. But I mean, the basic role. 
playing seem to handle it pretty good. Baseball well, players. I, yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, and of course, every current Kickstarter has popped up except the one I, I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Putting my designer hat yeah. on, I think that the problem is this: like, you know, um, when you're swinging a sword, the sword's fairly inconsequential, right? It does X amount of damage. You, you roll your die, hit, no big yeah. deal. But but to get the feel of a vehicle, there has to be something that compensates for the you know, the design of the vehicle, what it can do well and what options it has. Right. Is it agile? Is it fast? Is it armored? Yeah. 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 And so now it's almost like, you know, that sword is just a sword, but the vehicle is almost like another character. Right. And then you got to have somehow for your character interact with that character. uh, And then you hit your complication wall there. Well, I think uh, worse you get, you get naval or, um, even some of the air combat stuff where you have, you know, five characters in a vehicle (laughs) And they all have to take their turn to make, you know, whatever, ch- you know, are, they, are you doing the the aiming and then you're doing the driving and you're doing the shield energy, the repairing. Like there are, there's a lot of complicated rules out there for for comp for sh- vehicle combat that are interesting, but they're not fast. and They're not good for chases like they're, they're cool rules. Yeah. yeah. Now, going back to the top secret, top secret new world order. It's been a little while since I've read that. But I, if I remember correctly, one of the reasons I feel like it, it was getting towards a solution to this is that in that game, you always have a die that represents equipment. And uh, and then the other dice you're rolling have to do with your abilities and, and you know, some bonuses and things. And I feel like if I remember right, <clears throat> there are certain like certain bump ups and bumps downs that you get for different maneuvers on your car. And so it's it's sort of streamlined some of that. You, you got something representing the vehicle that's different depending on what kind of vehicle you're on, and you get different. You know, like if you're on a motorcycle, uh, the bump up might be uh, higher if you're if you're weaving in and out of things. Whereas a car, it might get the bump up if you're ramming something or whatever. Um, but I, I do feel like I, I need to go back and reread those. But but I feel like they were maybe it didn't solve the problem, but it was it, at least felt like it might work better than anything I'd played before. I, I remember actually a few good naval combats in 5e. Uh, there's enough stuff there that's interesting, and there's enough ways to use your character skills. You know, so if you're firing the the ballista, then you've got some your character affects how well that happens. But the ship also has some innate speed, some innate armor, um, and so there's some things there and some maneuverability. And if you're, you know, if you're uh, piloting the ship you know you're actually on the on the wheel or the rudder or whatever or if you're part of the crew that's trying to get the sails or the or the oars to do all of your character your character skills matter to the ship as you were saying like there's multiple you're adding the ship as another character there but then there's that interaction of how they because you want your character's background backstory to matter because that's what makes it an rpg in some sense mm-hmm. and so it's it's but I, 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 yeah, so that, that has actually, but again, that's not good chases. That's, I will say, decent, not great, but decent naval combat, at least one on one, or, you know, I don't know about Armada <laughs> fleet combat. That's another. All right. Then, then he's Bill's, asking about uh, uh, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's the Palladium version, I assume. I don't, I don't think there is any other version. I don't think. I don't so. think so. So, um, you guys have any experience with that? Zero. But it'd be fun to read one and and uh, talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I always have zero experience with whatever we're talking about. So for me, that's <laughs> this is uh... <laughs> there you go. 
So Eric, were, you were shaking your head. You've never played Team MT. I, my players, you know, my old gaming group, they liked it. I refused to run it, so they never <laughs> played it because I was, uh, I played Rifts. When I, they finally, that was the compromise, and I wasn't running it either. So, but uh, I, I was never into the Turtles. And that probably kind of hit after your time, kind of, you know. Yeah. yeah. Too old, man. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Damn it. I didn't know you like you played it. Cool. No, That'll be a fun one. A fun I challenge for I, us. Yeah. I think I collected the comic. I probably had a first issue that I sold for like two bucks and thought I made a profit on that. Oh, Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I don't know. No, no, I'm not interested. I, I've never been a turtle guy. Sorry, guys. Sorry, kids. Yeah. I'm just not interested. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about something we are interested in. All right. So what are you having for dinner? Oh, sorry. Uh, it's my brother-in-law's barbecuing, so I'm not exactly sure, but it's going to awesome. be good. That's good nice. stuff. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, as as you listeners know, we always do dealer's choice here uh, when we have guests on and, and they get to pick the module or, or rule set we look at. And uh, pretty quickly, we we came to the conclusion we're doing In Search of the Unknown, B1. Uh, this is uh, written by Mike Carr, who we just had on the last program for a little interview, and he's, he's pledged to come back here pretty shortly. Um, published in 1978, was included in the uh, Holmes box set. Uh, that was the fourth edition of it. Um, it had a monochrome cover uh, for most of its life in that. And then when it became published on its as a separate piece uh, in, uh, I think it was 81, is when it went to the brown cover. So, um, yes. Darling, additional yeah, parts, like, like uh, you know, what, anybody have a special connection to this? I know, uh, Bad Mike, I know you, you, you know, this is your jam here. Um, first, first module we ever ventured in. I, um, I so I I mean, I, I, remember, I remember this like it was yesterday. So I wrote up a character. I called him Conan the Barbarian. I guess you know I'm a <laughs> stupid kid. Come up with that? Yeah, I don't know. And, and, I mean, I had Merlin, but he was a magic user. <laughs> the cool thing was we had to roll three dice in order the old-fashioned way, and I rolled a sixteen or I rolled a high strength sixteen wow. or something. So I, I was all excited. So we and so this is the first module. I don't know how to play D and D. Doctor Joe, who played for us, said I'll I'll run the module. We go in and the entire party's wiped out in the first room except for Conan who lived. And I and then of the course that I was hooked on DD forever too, because we went to the mat we went through there, went to the magic mouth room, which is all I mean, you're a kid playing this, this is the most awesome thing ever. Bunch of kobolds came and wiped out our party and He's like, well, um, and I was, but Conan's alive. I'm like, cool, Conan's alive. I loot everything and leave and go back down. And, <laughs> and then I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And that was the first adventure we ever had. Then, then nobody else wanted to, then he goes, well, I don't want to run. I don't want to be DM. I said, well, I'll be a DM. And we're going to go through B1. Since we only went through the first two rooms, everybody died. I'm going to, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it. But yeah, it, it's, that has always had a special place in my heart. I've run it more than any other module. I probably run it over a hundred times easily. Oh, wow. and, and I run it for every convention and I have, um, I have five different versions of it that I run that, that stock differently, five different, because uh, we'll get into it. But the, the module is really the only one that TSR ever put out where you, you place the monsters, you place the treasure. Here's the room. We're going to describe the room and you put monsters of treasure in there. And so, I I have five different versions of it that I run at conventions and uh, 
um, it's yeah. I, I mean, that's that's. I mean, I that that'll I'll never forget that module. I I think as a matter of fact, I think it's the perfect. I don't think you could have come up with a better beginning module for D and D to publish to, for the home box set. I think it did everything that it's supposed to do in terms of what it gives to the players and what it gives to the DM. Um, it's little to my way of thinking, it's literally the perfect beginning module. So, so it's, it's actually got kind of a unique history too. Uh, why, why it even came about to be. Um, so it, it was, it was inserted in the fourth printing of the Holmes box set. Uh, the first three printings of the Holmes box set had what was called monster and treasure assortment levels one through three and uh, dungeon geomorphs levels one through three. And, what, what essentially what you were there to do is you had these geomorphs which are just maps and you would roll randomly on the geo on the uh, assortments they were percentile based so there was a hundred monsters 100 treasures and there were some traps and a couple other things and you would just roll percentile dice and stock your dungeon and that and that was what came in the first three printings of the home set well then there was in the middle of that there was this fight uh at tsr which everyone knows knows anything about tsr there's always fights at TSR. So it was how to get somebody out of getting royalties. And the solution to deal with Arneson was to kick the, the assortments out and the geomorphs out and put this module in that was written by Mike Carr. And uh, so they, well, they recruited Mike Carr to write this module and in comes uh, B1 in search of the unknown. And that's why it showed up in the home set. Um, so it's kind of where it came from but it was also designed, you know, it was, it was also a good idea because people didn't know how to really design dungeons. Right. It wasn't a very good description. I mean, the Holmes Blue Book has a decent description of how to do it, but in a decent, a great sample dungeon. Yeah. But as far as running a, a big full on dungeon, that's what B1 was designed to do. The first eight pages of the thing are got nothing to do with the module. It's how to run a module, mm-hmm. how, how to run a dungeon. Yeah. Uh how to you know, be a good dungeon master? How to how to come? How to be a dungeon master? Yeah, it's yeah, great. To, it's everything that you need to know. How to, right in the second there. printing, how to use this with advanced Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, and then finally on page eight, you get into the the caverns of Quas Quentin. So, um, and like Mike said, it was kind of a it was a tool to teach dungeon masters how to play and players how to play. So it was it's a great product in looking getting that window of what D anD D was like in nineteen seventy eight seventy nine. Um, but, uh, and you basically stocked it either purposefully or they had tables in the back and you could just roll randomly and stick in whatever monster wound up in that room <laughs> or whatever treasure he wound up holding. Uh, I, with I a very loose up. I didn't really warm of, up to this module. I got it as a package of yeah. garage sale items that my, my Aunt Ruby had uh, bought for me when she found out I was into D&D. And I remember the first time flipping through it and seeing like, there's no monsters, there's no treasures, it's blank. <laughs> that's a piece of shit <laughs> and like throwing it to the side and you know eventually came back to it and read like the room descriptions and got that like you know that's where the magic is anyhow is is here's the setting you yeah know, you you figure out you know what what goes well with that setting and it's very it's very cool way. i mean the, the obviously our listeners can't see the one i'm holding right now i've got a second print that i'm holding it's rad it's a little beat up it's old ratty copy that i you know picked up somewhere down the road and it's got the pencil written uh, notes in here. Uh, each room gives you a line for monsters, another line for treasure. Mm-hmm. So you fill it in, right? Well, this one uh, is loaded with higher level monsters that don't appear in the list. There's there's manacores. There's hmm. uh, 
God, there's a purple worm in this one. Come on, man. Yeah. This is not a, this is not a first level dungeon the way this guy wrote that. Yeah, so it, that's awesome. Uh, it's again, it's not my. I have mine, but this is not my original copy. It's just an extra one I, I picked up. So yeah, he loaded up with a bunch of uh, much more powerful stuff. And you know, of course, he's got some rooms here with like four cabals. I mean, it's just you know that kind of thing. But uh, displacer beasts, four of them in a room. Uh, it just oh. it's just hanging around. <laughs> it's just freaking so much fun to to look at it. But uh, it is a it's a great window into again to. It's a good module in that you can do a lot with it, right? The flexibility. I know Mike's going to get to that because uh, he is what he has done with his modules, epic. Um, but uh, the versatility of the product is fantastic, um, and it's got some cool rooms in it. It's got the you know the potion room or the pool room. The pool room, or, yeah. It's got another room that does like uh, it does have a potion room where there's yeah, a go ahead and drink potion, see what happens. The, the, the giant uh, fungus. There's a giant fungus. The giant room. fungus room. That was yeah. a missed opportunity. I'll tell you that right. That was one of my notes. Yeah. So, so it, I had never, yeah. I've never read this adventure, and I'd never played it that I recall. Um, so for me, it was, and I love, I love it when we go into some of these early adventures like this because it's fun to see to read this stuff and be like, oh, this is probably the first time X. Uh, happen like i know in stonehill yeah. there's this awesome magic mouth room and we have sent like every time a new player joins us we stand outside that room and make the character go in there because the gm for that adventure does such an awesome job you know rah, rah, rah. Uh, and i can imagine <laughs> it's just so much fun reading that but yeah in the pool room of course like i knew about all these things and so it was really fun to see that and then it was also fun seeing the gm advice and it's Porn. like there's the, the sentence in here you are not their adverse adversary adversary uh, nor are you necessarily out to defeat them like there's that comment yeah. which so obviously this this conversation has been going on since the early early days uh but then there's a lot of stuff in there which is you know well if they say they're doing it then they do it no take backs <laughs> you know, so, oh yeah like, which is it what yeah. are we doing here uh, um, there's you know, like there's a trap room where the bars come down, uh, which which will lead into something we kind of talked about off off camera here a little bit is you know this this came in the Holmes basic set so this you know you look at this and think this is a a basic D and D module there are a lot of one e right things mm -hmm. yeah. in here uh, the 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 room where you get trapped behind the where the gate falls down behind you it specifically says bend bars, yeah. ben bars lift gates roll. Uh, <laughs> that does not exist in basic D and D but it certainly exists in AD and D. Right. There is uh, the sample characters, like I think Eric pointed out. Yep. This is this is the main one that everyone always points to. Craig of the Mountain. Craig of the Mountain. Yeah, he's yeah, got the percentile based strength. Right. Um, another thing I want to point out structurally wise, which is absolutely fascinating to me and how I never really pay attention to this that much. Uh, the monsters that they do list here, like in the Wandering Monsters thing, uh, they have their armor class. They have AC and they'll have their armor class, which is like, say, uh, troglodytes, AC 5 slash 14. The 14 is the number of their first level okay. fighter means to hit the creature, which is essentially to me, this is the first appearance of ascending armor class. Right. So oh, I'm, sure. I'm gonna say it right there. Um, because <laughs> all the monsters are depicted that way. Every one of them. That's cool. So uh, all of all of us old grognards, we need to take a slap to the head because it's been around <laughs> no new things. No new things. So what's I always liked about this adventure, like like you said, the first eight pages are basically just it's got so many things in here that were used over and over again. Like this is the first example of a rumor chart that which they call the legend table. 
And yep. after that, everybody felt like they had to do a, a rumor table, right? I mean, everything after that, had a, you'd always find a rumor table. And that the rumor table was cool because then, you you know, you learn things that mm, might have not. I mean, half of them were true. Half of them weren't. You didn't know. I remember one party I ran through there. Um, they were petrified of something on the rumor table that turned out it was false. And the whole time they're in there, they didn't know that rumors could be not true. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I can't know, remember. I can't remember which one it was, but I just remember that they were freaked out the whole time, you know, thinking about this uh, this bad thing that was going to happen, and it never happened. But because I was like, oh well, that was a false rumor. There can be false rumors. Yes, it's a rumor. It can be false. Um, but yeah, so that it's that that whole Mike Carr done first six pages. It's brilliant because, uh, as as was said, uh, you know. You haven't seen a module before. These you have not seen a yeah. module before. There's none that you know unless you yeah. picked up Tomb of Horrors, which I'm sorry, Tomb of Horrors is not a great example for a beginning party to run an adventure. You know, um, th this is the first low level beginning adventure you've ever picked up for for ninety percent of the people out there. Yeah, and th then what you had to do is you had to set the stage. Say, okay, here's what to be expected of you as a dungeon master. Here's what your players should be doing. Um, here's there's a section on time like how how many you know how long should you stay in the dungeon I mean you might not know that it's like okay well every you know basically um you have to spend eight hours resting oh well I think that's the first time it's ever mentioned really anywhere then oh yeah you're right you can't just be walking around all day long you got to rest for you know adventure would you check for wandering monsters well you check every three turns I mean all these things that became rote knowledge in later modules you find here in in search of the unknown you know the other thing I had forgotten that they invented in here as far as I know temporary hit points yep right so there's that potion that gives you one to one d6 they don't even use one d6 one to six hit points you got to figure out yep. how to calculate that and those are the first ones that come off and they're not like yeah i, I know that was kind of fun like special yeah. one-time hit points i was like oh look at that that goes all the way back to here yeah there's there's a the 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 monster and treasure placement thing is kind of kind of brilliant and, and I was reading a little bit about this uh, and you know as much as as much as I've read about it um they talk about how this was it was used in B3 the I guess the orange version but I think the green version didn't have it right if I remember correctly green version uh, is fully written out yeah fully right? written out yeah yep. so so they tried to use it again in B3 but that was the 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 band and the prizes wasn't used more. Yeah, but because it, it is a little bit of a genius move here to do this, to say, look, here's 25 yeah. monsters, here's 25, 26 treasures. You put them how you want to put them. And, and it's 16. not just... Yeah. And the treasures yeah, are cool. cool. I mean, you read about it. The treasures are cool. They're not all the same. I mean, I'm looking here, a leather pouch with 10 electric pieces, 15 gold pieces, small wooden box with 35 gold pieces, dagger with a jeweled handle. Not only do you have treasure, you have item items that are treasure. Eight to yeah, ten gems. Stuff. Hey, here's a here's a plus two spear. Oh, plus two spear is pretty badass. You know, a scroll of spells. Uh, uh there's even a there's even a uh, a, a booby prize here, bag of devouring. Well, that'd be that's great for a first little party to find. <laughs> Let's throw our treasure in the bag. Oh wait, it's all gone later. So, so, the, so the uh, Mike did or whoever did a good job of putting different kinds of treasures and monsters yeah. to populate the rooms too. Um, like I said, I just think that's kind of a genius move, and I'm surprised it wasn't used more in the lower level adventures. Like, hey, why don't you, you know, kind of make your own adventure? I guess they thought. But these guys, they might be stupid. So let's just, we're just going to put all the monsters in there for them and all the treasures in there. We, so we, we don't the, the thing we, we glossed around with, and, and unfortunately, I, I'm going to have to bail here fairly soon, but I want to make sure I get this in, is that the, the, the backstory of the module is, is we talked about it earlier, or there's this warrior and wizard uh, buddies. It's like a buddy movie, top movie. <laughs> and and these guys are adventurers and they, 
They do some things that it's very vague on are these good guys or bad guys. Uh, and, and most of it leans toward they're, they're probably not the greatest guys in the world. And this is their, they, they've adventured, they've become powerful. They build this keep and they, um, or the, this tower and they build a keep underneath it, kind of, you know, the dungeon complex. Um, they get attacked by these barbarians or this area does. And these guys come out and help defend uh, a Zelgar class of basically a cloud kill wipes out this barbarian invading army. And, and for some reason later on, they vanish. They, they, they these two guys leave. And they leave the keep. They leave some guys there, whatever. Uh, I think I'm, I can't remember if that's even in the backstory that much. Um, no, I think there's there's their their guards are show up dead when you go. Yeah, they're they're dead there, by so the time you get yeah. there, right? right. So, so we know they were showing up. Monsters have kind of infested it. Yeah, the town wants to clear it's, it's, it out. It's yeah. vague. It's specific enough to that, you know you know who Zelgar and Rogan are, but it's really vague. And there's no time period. There's no really motive. It's, it's just it's just a really good example of here's a very neutral type setting that you can do whatever you want with. Right. It's going to have a dungeon. It's it's yeah. really the sandbox dungeon, right? Because yeah. even going through it, there's not much about Zelgar or Rogan. Even when you go through yeah. the adventure itself, mm-hmm. there's virtually nothing. Um, which you know I'm sure, like I said, Mike Mike is mentioning he uh has got something coming up. We did. We did our B one soul sequel was where did they go and and that's what mine deals with and they leave to chase these barbarians down because they actually kidnap uh, Rogan's uh, mistress squeeze, squeeze Melissa yeah it's, yeah it's they, they 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 kind of yeah. kidnap her and they they chase them down and all that but um I'm but they don't do much with it which I think again it's the sandbox nature of this is 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 super cool well, it's, and it's interesting we, we, we talked with Mike Carr on the last episode about Lady in Distress and about some of those details in it that were left kind of incomplete. And he talked about how, you know, that, that's sort of a design feature that, you know, hey, you don't want to hamstring your DM. You want to you want to kind of let them roll with the story. And I think we're seeing that in his, uh, you know, his ethic here and in, in, in what he's written here is, is you know, he's set up a stage and then, you know, you're here to run the play. You know, you, you decide what happened to them or who they were, whether they're good or bad. Or, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I, I do have to bail. Just want to say thank you, Eric and Mike. And oh, yeah. I won't be here to 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 terrorize you at Geek Credit mm. when this is all done, but <laughs> I'll leave that in the extremely capable hands of Edwin. Um, so you guys are doomed, but uh, <laughs> all's good. And uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Later, sir. We'll still talk to you. Yeah. Eric, uh, what, what's your experience with this module? I, I, ne- I never ran it back in the day. <laughs> um. I didn't actually own this. I, I started. I started with AD and D, so basic was for babies or the young ones. <laughs> but I do remember when I did pick this up. I picked it up. I believe at a, at a discount store, which had uh, the uh, the basic rule set with this included for like I don't know three dollars. I think for three dollars I'll buy it. And I re- remember looking at it. And saying, and I had some experience GMing at that point, going, wow, how lazy is it to publish an adventure <laughs> and, and not include where the monsters and the treasures are? And then I looked at the upper level map, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and I went, but it does justify everything that we did as kids, which was use mm-hmm. every goddamn yep. square oh, on a yeah. map because graph paper was expensive. What it wasn't growing on trees, I guess it was, but you know, it, it it was expensive, so you had to get the most out of your dungeon. You filled damn near every box, 
So I was like, wow, that's exactly what we've been doing. So I've been doing it right, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it was a crazy I, map. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I never ran it. Yeah, no, nobody would ever build an actual castle like this. And I think Mike Carr said in interviews before, he did, it's one of those things where you're just trying to throw in everything that they yeah. might run into. There's a teleportation room. There's a there's a there's a pit trap that drops you into an underground lake. There's a there's a oh, talking the you know, yeah talk yeah. the statue there's he just tried to throw in all this cool stuff and i i actually love it now there, if you look out there there's a map uh somebody did of quaskaton if it made sense i don't know if you've ever seen that map <laughs> where basically there's not all these weird corridors going off different directions and honestly i look at that map and it's boring as f i, I mean i like <laughs> this map because it's just crazy it's a crazy quilt there's all kinds of stuff everywhere you don't know what door you're going to open what's going to be behind it and you open one door and you're in the famous room of pools there's these 16 pools and every pool does nothing different another you know every every door is a mystery because the kitchen's not really it's supposed to be the barracks aren't where they're supposed to be <laughs> you know? everything's just scattered across the landscape and, and honestly the lower level is very boring in comparison to the upper level which just has surprises around every corridor and, and the, it, the, it does but my issue with this looking at it with my at 55 i would not hand this to a new gm and say hey run with this it's impossible to map it's a, well it's impossible it's and impossible they talk about my yeah. car talks about don't make mapping. things too hard to map initially. And then he, <laughs> well, and he, and then he says, shit. don't correct their maps. Yeah. Don't tell them if they've screwed up. Yeah. You're going to get lost. Yeah, yeah you're going to get messed up. Don't, yeah. don't, don't go too crazy with the maps. But then he gives you this crap. And by the way, he, the, he does give very good advice. He gives very good advice. I mean, what is in this adventure should have been put into like the DM section of absolutely of basic. Yeah. I got to say, it's, it's really good advice. This is the adventure... That you hand to a DM after they've run four or five short, simple adventures. Now your party's going to go on to an adventure that's going to take a couple of game sessions. Mm -hmm. Here, they've earned this. But if this is your first adventure that you're going to run, also having to stock it yourself, I, I, I would have gone, fuck this. And I and I started with AD and D. Now I now I think this I I think the opposite here because I, I think this this is what got me hooked into AD or D D was this thing really? because well yeah because it's just it's just so it's just Hard so enough. crazy it's all yeah. it's all in place and I like that aspect I don't, I don't want my dungeons to be logical and make sense and oh, this I don't is worry about logical and making sense I just wanted a dungeon that was actually complete as an example as opposed to hey throw your like we all did, right? You know, mm -hmm. how did you fit 15 orcs in a 10 by 10 room? <laughs> oh, uh, the dice decided that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> they were waiting there quietly. Well, just, you know, the, the, it does require a little bit of dungeon, uh, dungeon master. You know, uh, he's got to think about it a little bit and think, okay, do I really, you know, here's, here's, here's my monsters. Uh, would these orcs really be in the room next to the carrion crawlers? Probably not. I mean, it does require you to think a little bit. And yes, most beginning dungeon masters probably aren't going to, Going to yeah, do that very well, no. but, you know, but I, I think it. I think it does give you that aspect. Of, okay, what is? Why is this here? Or why should this be here rather than somewhere else? You know, I, I would well, never I mean, do this random randomly. I would always look at it and say, okay, you know, you're an experienced GM. See, that's the thing. This was. Well, no, I'm saying actually. even even as a kid, I would look at it and say, mm -hmm. well, why would the wizard's workroom have anybody? It's a secret door to get in. I mean, how could anybody even get in here? You know, this maybe there's some undead in here because you can't really get. It. And so, but maybe, maybe I'm smarter than the average bear. I don't yeah, know. But listen I'm, again, my. my Personally, I think 
this should have been half complete and half open. Complete half of it, with, the, with not just with descriptions, but with your monsters and treasures, to give an example of what that should look like. And then you go, all right, now the next half is on you. I think that would have been, and as a, as a younger gamer, I would have been more apt to go, well, oh, that's a useful adventure. And I'll agree with you on the, the lower level, like I said, monster, treasure, cavern, monster. There's nothing, in other words, in cavern. And the lower level should have been, it should have been much cooler. The, the lower level should have been awesome. You know, because I would have liked to have seen the, the lower level actually, because they talk about the fact that these folks have moved in. That to mm -hmm. me, like they could have written that up. That would have been cool. But I was thinking, um, sorry, Lou, I just cut you off too, but um, <laughs> I do that normally. The uh, one of the things I think we've talked about before is that running your own stuff sometimes is easier because you know the whys and the wherefores, and you also have a little more right. uh flexibility to to change things and i feel like this gives you that that because you have stocked this yourself and and if you're mike anyway thought about why you've stocked it the way you stocked it you actually probably know this adventure better than if it were already stocked and you were just sort of reading it and trying to remember what somebody else had done for reasons that you don't actually understand and even if that reason even if you stocked it yourself randomly you're still like well, I put them there, so you know I can take them out. That's, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I, I didn't think about it that way, but that that does make sense because that's how I approach when I do my my individual versions. I, I have a theme. Each each one has a theme, and I was just looking over my word documents here. So the five versions of this I have are. If I can pull this up real quick, without. Well, maybe I can't. So this is the this old dungeon part because this is what Mike would do with this dungeon if he could because he did and he has. <laughs> well, I, one well, thing I was called... going to say is that this is a unique adventure for us because it really is kind of meant for you to this old dungeon right off the bat. Right. Like, you're you're going to figure this out. You're going to make it make sense. So, so I've got so I've got the five versions I have are um, the Orc Bandit Lair, uh, the Necromancer's Lair, uh, Escape from Quasiton, uh, the. Uh, I can't find the other two, but one is it's never it's a, a locked door that's never been opened in a hundred you know fifty years, and you go in so no, there's nothing nothing alive is in there. Um, and then another one is you're looking you're it's a bounty hunter thing. Escape uh, prisoners are in there, and you've got to go through the dungeon trying to find the escape prisoners. And I, when I used to run this, I would let the let the players choose which one they wanted, and they would just that's choose cool. it based on the title. So like the orc bandit lair, there's orc bandits that have been attacking the town. They've and they inhabit most of the upstairs room. The necromancers lair, necromancers took it over. There's a lot of undead in it. I mean, so you can kind of figure out um, the rest. The one called Escape from Quasiton is you, when you go in there. Um, five five turns after you go in there, there's an earthquake and you're sealed in. So the only way to get out <laughs> is through the bottom, bottom level, the back, and so you're screwed. Oh, nice. And so yeah, it's it's it's, it's what I and, it, and there's a there's a there's a bottom room that leads out. I always try to have a major encounter there because that's that's the way out of the dungeon. And so and that's also next to the, where they have the treasure room. I always try to have like a major encounter there because that's kind of like your you know the end. The end of the dungeon, but but I mean that's all of me. The, the 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 module doesn't say to do any of this. This is all just something I thought up because I I, I love the idea of it's kind of create your own dungeon. But but I didn't want the idea. I didn't want to just do one. I thought well I have like five or six ideas here. But I, I think that helps players or some players DMs that want to do something different or you know maybe maybe they want to have a dungeon full of undead or a dungeon full of uh, uh, one version I have it's it's full of blind kobolds because it's it's been it's been locked up for years nobody been down there there's no light and so everything down there has learned to exist without light and so you know th th this allows your imagination to kind of run free here 
Um, I was going to say some of the things that they do here that I think are really interesting that, that I don't see a lot, which is weird because you think you'd see some of these some of these uh, things more. Um, there's like four different rooms where they have lists of stuff, which I think is really cool for beginning DM because they can get ideas. I just wish more dungeons could do this. For instance, there's one, the Wizard's Workroom. They have, uh, you, you look at these different uh, jars, there's 20 different jars and they give you different things like one, like salt, water, sulfur, sand, carbon, crushed stone, blood, dung, wine. I mean, so it gives you, you know, you roll in there and you tell them what's in the, the uh the jar there's another another room that's the um storeroom um the storeroom you can find 20 different items because they have these but they have these sealed uh casts so they have like barley rye salt pork dill pickles raisins wine water i mean you know just just crazy stuff that you start rolling and what's cool is you you find you see if characters can find these ordinary type items and do something with it because they have another mm -hmm. supply room what's in the supply room uh, coil of rope, 200 feet, box of 50 iron spikes, box of metal nails, pile of wooden beams, sack of building mortar, sack of stone blocks. I can't tell you the amount of times I've had players try to figure out something to do with these. Like stone blocks. Somewhere yeah, something. we could do something with stone blocks. And then there's a, <laughs> the, the last room is a supply room. They have box of wooden pegs, coil of rope, coal of chain, uh, chisels, shovels, empty barrels, 11, mallets. I mean, so I, I don't know why more dungeons don't do that where they have just these mundane items that force the players to like, hey, what can we do with this box of mallets or this box of, you know, iron spikes? It just seems to me that that would be something you would find in a dungeon, right? You go in a dungeon, there'd be a storeroom, there's all these boxes, they're going to be full of just all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I love the fact that it has something like that in there because especially beginning characters, our beginning players, they don't know what's useful and what's not useful, you know? I mean, we're well, yeah, A little seed to the imagination goes yeah, a long exactly. way, both for the GM and for the players. Well, yeah. it, it sets that tone that the early D&D had of, of, you know, ingenuity over, you know, skill yep. roles or whatever. Here's something, make something out of it, yeah. Yeah, chain. Let's find something to do with this chain, man. We can Definitely. run the chain across the ground, and then we get the monster to follow us, and we jump over the chain, and the monster <laughs> chain. I mean, yeah, it's stuff, stuff like that pops up. Whereas we're jaded now. You know, we're going through a dungeon. Goes anything in there magic? Nope. Okay, we move on. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> oh, uh, what's in that room? A hacksaw? I don't care about hacksaws. We're yeah, we're, 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 we're zipping off. But you know, a, a kid, especially kids. If you go something something like this with kids. Kids are great because they're not jaded yet, so they always think of really cool stuff like, okay, we take all the hacksaws because that way if we go here, we can like saw our way through. And you're thinking, I didn't even think of that. I mean, that's, that's a great idea. Um, so yeah. I, I do like the way that he describes all the rooms. He does, like I said, the upper level is so much better than the lower level because he actually takes time to describe in detail all these rooms and just all these different things. I, I remember one thing I think is interesting in the Wizard's Lab, I believe, yeah. there's a bottle with a cat in it. And when you yeah. <laughs> pop open the bottle, the cat springs out and then turns to, I mean, it's just a one-off weird thing. It doesn't do anything, but it's just something cool that really spikes your imagination. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell was that cat that jumped out of the bottle and turned to smoke? I mean, what so, does that have to do? You know, what, 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 is it telling to tell us a, a, some kind of a, you know, secret? I mean, you know, there wasn't any reason for it. It's just cool. It's just something. One, cool. one of the things that I think I would do differently. So on the, on the, this whole, dungeon side of this um, and i think i would actually want to put this in the instructions if i were uh publishing this today is there's a bunch of things in here which have no context no explanation and are really kind of time wasters if you leave them as time wasters 
And so I feel like one of the things, like there's the uh, what was the one? There's the one of the, 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 uh, the well, the room of the room of doors is dumb. Well, that, there's the there's these these statues um, that are pointing and, and you can't move it and you can't budge them or whatever. But but they have no information. They have no meaning about them. There's the cat which jumps out and chases and you can't find it again ever. Um, and there's there's a few other things like that. And I I hate that stuff. In I mean I like things that are unexplained i don't like things that are unexplainable like i, I feel like <laughs> if you're going to throw somebody something weird at the players then the players are likely to grab onto it and i want to reward that with some interesting story like i want there to be something there something even if they, the they don't the come but, but once again you, you yeah, yeah the even if they don't understand about the cat if they follow the cat they end up somewhere cool that they wouldn't have right. gotten yeah, to. But, it, it, but, secret but, the, but no, but that's the, that's the sandbox aspect of it. That's that's your job. But I think, I think because that's not my well, job. That's that, your job as a GM. No, I agree. But that's that's not explained here, and this is right. for beginning GMs. That's, that's what I was saying. If I were publishing this, I would actually want to highlight those things and call them out at the beginning and say, "Hey, look, GM, we have given you a few a few weird things, and along with stocking it, along with putting the creatures in, along with putting the treasure in." You should also think about what you're going to do if the player, like, like if your players screw around for three hours with these damn statues, they get out the jackhammers and they like, you know, or whatever, like, what are you going to, what are you going to give them for that? Like, are you just going to say, okay, well that sucked. You just wasted two hours of our eight hour gaming session and uh, you know, whatever <laughs> onto the next room, you know, no, you want to do something cool. Well, there. Well, well, there actually is one that there's one thing that, that, that would meet your satisfaction, Edwin, and that's the room that has the five thousand gold piece ivory statue, and it, it says in there, "This is too heavy for your characters to move unless unless they have some heavy like equipment or machinery." Yeah, so no, that was awesome. That was yeah. Perfect. So there's your like. I can't tell you how many parties I've had. Like this is worth about five thousand gold. We got to get this out of the dungeon, and then yeah, they you start, have an entire gaming session on yeah. how to get yeah. that out of the dungeon, and that's right. that's fun stuff. And then they're rich, like. Rock yeah. on, yeah. How do you? And of course, while they're trying to do it, they're getting attacked by wandering monsters. Exactly. And they, exactly. they got it. They figure out they need a winch, probably. They need a wagon. The wagon to, gets hijacked, oh, yeah. and they've got. Oh yeah, there's all sorts of good stuff. Going <laughs> so that, on. that was the, that was probably the one thing that would match that, that I think you would have liked in that respect, because yeah, because you're, no. you're right. They, but it, it's you know it, it's just the nature of the beast that they're not going to ex explain too much. But what's what's the rock on the bottom level that you chip a piece off and put it in your yeah, mouth and cool. then all these crazy right. things happen. I mean, that's, I've a, that's never cool. successfully ever had any players and I, and I haven't <laughs> I've nowhere played this as many times as you right. Mike, but I've probably ran this 25, 30, somewhere in that and never, never had a character ever chip anything off that, that, Nobody's going to do that eating. unless there's some kind of clue that right. that's something you're supposed to do. So yeah, that's something that you probably learn as a DM after the third time you run it. Like, wait, my, nobody's chipping off a piece of the rock. But maybe, maybe, maybe the kobolds that you fight earlier all have little chips of rock in their mouth or something <laughs> like that. There's a book in the library upstairs or the room. Right. Yeah. But that's something that, you know, like I said, that an experienced DM would know. A beginning DM, yes, they're not going to figure that out. They're not going to understand what's going on with that. And so I agree with you on some of the points there, but I still think it's a really, and I'll tell you what, here, so we talked about the adventure a little bit, which really, there's really not an adventure here. You're just exploring right, this. It's just a dungeon. Game, right, dungeon you want. With, with monsters in it. But but the you have the really interesting beginning section that Mike Carr talks about, you know, here's how you run a dungeon. You know, here's how players are supposed to do. Here's what you expect out of players. But then you have this the last part, which is awesome too, because then you got a bunch of pages 
with all these kick-ass named characters that you know a random you, you have um a section you have clear you have uh 12 clerics 12 fighters dwarves and halflings um 12 magic users elves and then you got 12 thieves here with which just the greatest names ever like astrazo yep. and lagamundo and dreb <laughs> and Poster. presto and all, all these just awesome names and um and then you also have these little charts. So, okay, so I, I rolled up and I rolled Wilbert the Silent for a cleric. So I, ro I roll in the next chart. It tells me what kind of weapon I'm using, you know, one through six, anywhere from a club to a mace. Then I've got an armor roll. I can get everything from none, which would be horrible, to chainmail and shield. <laughs> and then it tells me what, you know, if I have a scroll. I mean, it, and it, it has some really cool things that it would really give you great advice as a DM, like, hey, this is something I could do. So when my my player dies, which you know lethality in early D and D was was legendary. I mean, everybody died quickly. Um, I, they they can roll up a character really quick. You know, I, I need a chart like that so they don't have to sit there and create another character. They can just roll again here. They roll what their weapons are. They roll what their armor is. They roll if they have a scroll. Boom, we're ready to go again. And I, I got a lot of use out of that, not just through when I was a kid, not just from Search the Unknown, but I I took those charts with me to use in almost every game I ran. Because it made it made getting back into the game for players who lost their character very easy. Um, I think those are that's a really underrated last five or six pages there that have all the uh, characters and all the uh, uh, little charts rolling uh, rolling with those characters are carried on them. Yeah, I mean it, it's amazing how much uh, they cover in this real estate. I mean, thirty two pages. Now, granted, it's in the the two column you know pack tight uh, type that you, you see back in the day, but. There's so much here from the actual adventure to the game master advice to, you know, all this setup to to run new player characters and the, the background sheet. I can't imagine fitting that in that space with illustrations, uh, you know, in any books that I've ever published. So they have the, they have the, the very end, they have, they have the tips for players, which I think are really interesting. I, I'm going to go over those real quick because I, and the weird thing is, I guess you're supposed to give these to the players because they're in there. It doesn't say, by the yeah, way, hand this hand to out. The players. Yeah. yeah, you should hand this out to the players. Uh, number one, be an organized player. Keep accurate records of your character, experience, abilities, size. Okay, that's good advice, right? I mean, that's pretty good. Number two, always keep in mind the Dungeon Master is the moderator of the game and as such deserves the continued cooperation, consideration, respect of the players. Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, if you disagree with him or her, present your viewpoint with deference to the DM's position as game judge, but be prepared to accept his or her decision as final. And I think that's that's great advice too, because oh, yeah. you know you don't want to be arguing with your dungeon master. With that uh, number three is cooperate with your fellow players and work together when adventuring. Boy, there's more players that need to read that one because uh, um, don't split the party right there. Don't and don't argue in the party because look, you're not just fighting the monsters, right? You're fighting the environment and each other. And if you get to where you know, well, if that guy falls in the pit, he's I'm just going to leave him in the pit. Screw him. I mean, then, then you know that's you're just fighting another another opponent. Uh, number four, be neither too hasty nor too sluggish when adventuring. If you're too fast in your exploration, you may recklessly endanger yourself. If you're too slow, you may waste valuable time, be way labor more than your share of adventuring. Wonder monsters, good advice there. I mean, of course, it's hard to hit that happy medium, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to miss anything, but you don't want to go too slow. Uh, number five, avoid arguing. While disagreements about a course of action will certainly arise from time to time, players should quickly discuss their actions and reach a consensus in order to proceed. Good advice. Um, number six, be on your guard. Don't be over cautious, but be advised that some NPCs may try to hoodwink you. Well, that's that's useful when you go to the village of Hamlet later. 
Yeah. Um, players may double cross you and, you know, it goes to the tricks and traps. Number seven, treat any retainers of the, or NPCs fairly. Good advice there. They go into that. Number eight, know your limits. Your party may not be a match for every monster you encounter. And occasionally it pays to know when and how to run away from danger. Yeah, like that what, purple worm in your book. Oh, there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that is that is advice. And unfortunately, um, I think Edwin probably plays more 5e than all of us. Uh I, I don't I don't think you have do you have to actually run away now or, or does 5e let you heal up when you're you know running? I, I don't know. Well, just, I, I don't I know if that's it depends who's running the game. Yeah. I think the design of or basic D D, A D D, original D D, and 5e are different expectations there's, there's there's the idea that it's going to be balanced because we now we know how to uh, balance things right and whereas with the original as they say it depends who's running the game well that's what i'm saying <laughs> but i mean in general 5e players and i i just know this from reading well, this, this goes back baseball. to third edition really i mean right yeah. the third edition was third really edition, the yeah. first time yeah. that you were starting to run these calculations mm-hmm. of yes. we're allowed to put this level of challenge against this party right and that's really yeah. where the i mean i feel like three oh. three five is really the the serious I mean, so yeah when when can we here. say that there was actually balance i mean it's didn't exist to what 1983 Five? I mean, I don't even know when balance really came in because that was kind of a. a I mean, it's a, always existed. Yeah, well, but, yeah I mean, but, I, but I mean, I mean, to extend, you know, I mean, four characters level blank, blank, blank. That's right. suggesting balance to some degree. Yeah, right? it's always it's always existed. No I think problems. the real question is: Are there encounters that you need more than what's on your, your character sheet right. to survive or to to win? Right, and I think that's. I don't know if that's the difference. It's it's a difference between different people's styles. Some people think. I'm going to make sure they that they, you know, if they find the hacksaws and that mortar, then they're probably going to be able to figure out some cool way to take down the purple worm. And they're going to require a little player ingenuity to get that. Whereas other GMs are like, well, they're fifth level and they've got their plus one weapons. Uh-huh. They, I can put a purple worm on them. And that's really the only balance in that sense. I think that's ever existed is do you need some, do you need trickery, right? Do you need some uh-huh. player skill? Well, you know, I, I know this from running because, um, because, and I, I don't know what everybody's experience here is, but we're running old school adventures for newer type players. One of the, one of the most important things to get across them is, is I, I you are not necessarily given everything that will help you succeed. In other words, you right. may have to run away, or you may have to, you know, I, everything here is not set here for you to actually beat that thing. You know, you you may you know don't don't assume everything's balanced here that, that you're gonna oh uh, the DM wouldn't have thrown that Medusa at us if there wasn't some way to kill her well no maybe he threw that Medusa at you you're supposed to get the hell out of there because you're all gonna turn to stone and be dead um, and, I, and I think that exists more like I said that's a new player old player kind of economy a lot of new players don't realize that they think well if this dungeon or if this monster is here in this part of the dungeon there must be some way i can defeat it and i don't know like i don't run i run mostly old school gaming i don't run a lot of new school does anybody here run old school and new school and notice that or i've only noticed it a couple of times when i've run games um that have i definitely run and play both I, I mean i think i feel like there's a one of the subsets of old school gaming is the the idea of the throwaway character, right? I mean, that's right. and that I don't actually subscribe to that school because as a kid, we did not have throwaway characters. We did everything we could to keep our characters alive. And we did not do that thing of like, oh, well, I got went through my fighter one and fighter two and his brother fighter three today. 
Right. Um, I know that existed, but that wasn't our play style. Um, yeah, we didn't really do that either. But that's that is. A, but you're right. That's more of an old school play well, style. That was, where your character doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the, it, your character didn't matter in their first adventure. Once they survived their first first adventure or second, and they leveled up. Once you had a second level Hold character, right. you're holding on to that. That's mm. how we were. If you lost a, a first level character, no harm, no foul. Mm. But if you lost somebody who actually leveled up, you wasted XP. Right. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, that's wow. why. That's that's why when you saw level draining undead, you just hauled ass out of there. Oh, oh my god! Like, I have a third level character. I don't want to go to first level again. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> lost. Ready. 40 what was it i lost 30 35000 xp the other day in a in our stonehell game oh uh, to a level right. drain i went i was like so i was level 6 and like within that session i think i would have hit level 7 and so i dropped down to the middle of level 5 oh and I was like wow oh. it was huge it's awesome and you know there's a we have a house rule that you can um cast um raise dead to get back a level but then you're out your character is out for two weeks Mm. of of gameplay which is fine but so we tried that and apparently somehow my character while i lost the level the energy is still around somewhere and so i couldn't get it back through the raised dead spell so somehow i have to we have to do a we actually have to be smart and go figure out what the where my energy went and how i can recoup it and i'm I'm psyched for it, but wow, it's just like holy shit. That's so many experience points, <laughs> so well, much treasure. Well, speaking of monsters, monsters, I searched to know. I'm looking on the monster list, and most of the stuff is you know the regular stuff you run into orcs and goblins and right. that. But but so I want you guys' opinion. There's a couple items here that I that I think might teach your characters an unwelcome lesson. They have a uh, crab spiders, which do damage one one to eight plus poison. Ooh. Now, can anybody tell me what poison used to do in early editions? It, it, it was save or die. So there's also Black Widow Spider here, which would be another save or die. Um, yeah, that's there. That's something that I guess your characters should learn if they see a Black Widow Spider Web. Is that uh, oh, if we get bit, there's a really good chance we're going to die because our saving throws suck. Fire um, and arrows. Keep your yeah. distance. <laughs> Learn yeah. to use your arrows because this is yeah. That's I, I'm, I'm interested. I think that's interesting. They put they, they there's three encounters with spiders in here. There's two yep. crab spiders and one black widow. So the, yeah, those could be instant death if you're not really really careful as a as a. Well, in the first level, of course, getting hit can be instant death. Well, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> like... You're only going to have you know a few hit points so. But you probably have a better chance against two to seven orcs than one to two crab spiders. The, the giant centipedes, it's not listed, but they, they have poison listed. Yeah, it does. It says, yeah, the carrying crawler has paralysis. I thought, because I feel like more recent giant centipedes paralyze you, right? I think hmm. so. I'm not sure that. Well, they have, well, they're poison. Well, two of their poison is weaker. Yeah. So it may, but, I don't remember if in the, I guess this is designed in, this is. Although it says what it says, it's really designed for first edition. So right. Well, here, I think so. And, and my, my favorite though, on the twenty-five monsters, I forgot about this. You can put it there. One's an ochre jelly. Okay, it's five hit dice. Does damage two to twelve, and if I remember correctly, it it rots 
metal or wood? I can't remember. It's wood for ochre, isn't it? That is yeah. a definite run your ass away from that as quick yeah. as possible. Yeah. If you're a first yeah. level party, I'm sorry, you're not going to take on an ochre gel unless you get really lucky. And if it and hits this you, this one is dead, at least at least slow, like they're supposed to be. Right. So <laughs> it's it is our armor class eight. But I, I I can't remember. Did blows even hurt it, or does it? In OSC, it? the only thing that does anything is fire. Yeah. And there's and I yeah. So that but I don't remember for. I guess uh, you have a fight. You have a fighting chance because you're like you're right, and it does move slow. But yeah, that that's the one ringer. You got to back here. away, throw oil, and hope yeah. you <laughs> you don't screw up your your initiative or your counting of squares. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's a good lesson for a low level party, right? Is so you're oh, not going to run in swinging your sword. You know, oh yep. look, there's a there's an amoeba swung on the ground. It's really slow. I'm gonna I'm gonna run up there and hit it with my sword a couple of times. The next thing you know, you know, it bashes your head in. Oh, that guy's dead. So uh, rest of us, let's back off and fire arrows and you know throw oil at it. So yeah, um, you always got to have that one character that runs ahead and. and <laughs> <laughs> oh, kicks in the nice. door or does whatever yeah kick in the yep. door why don't you do that that's great yeah kind of so, bringing yeah. this uh this segment to a close here um any changes or, or any i mean mike you've given us a good list of different ways you've used the adventure um any thoughts on how you might use it eric or edwin eric, um, go ahead. yeah for, well for me like i said i i, I consider this dungeon to be more something that you're, you're graduating from being a a, a a newbie DM. This is your graduation course. <laughs> so I, I think it's great for that. But I mean, I would love to strip some of the DM advice out of this and have it separate because it, it really belongs on, on its on its own. Um, I could see myself running it today. I, I think it I think it would hold up well. But like Mike's Mike's an experienced GM. He's got five versions of this. All right, that's because he's an experienced GM. An inexperienced GM, this can be overwhelming too. And I think that's the weakness in this. But if you've run two or three sessions, this is this is golden. It's just that this shouldn't be the first session that you run. That, that's that's actually a good idea. That's a really good idea, Eric. And I, you know what, thinking about it, that that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, B2, go through B2 first. Yeah. And then and then and then you got Quaskaton. And that way you got a little oomph in your step, you know, because you've done a you've done an adventure already. And yeah. You, and then you and you've run it and and, and B2 is nice because it's a little bit of a, uh, of setting and adventuring in dungeons and stuff. And then you give them this. And then you have an idea. You've already run adventures. You kind of know what what balances or what doesn't. Well, if this is your first one, the okra jelly that sounds fine. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but it's not. I don't, let's throw that in there. I mean, again, this to me is like your your graduation from being that that newbie DM to being an apprentice. You know, maybe not journeyman yet, but you you went from newbie. You've got your you, you've. You've passed your course. If you can fill this and run this, and 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 be able to follow it, that you're no longer a new BDM. You're you're you've you've moved up. You've you've leveled up. But as as a current GM who's been running games since I was I don't know thirteen, so I guess oh my god, that's well over forty years. Uh, <laughs> this is awesome <laughs> for me now. This is awesome for me at thirteen. With my one character Cyrus behind me, um, this would have been overwhelming for my first adventure, especially with with somebody getting this box set what? and being handed it and saying, "You haven't, especially if you haven't never played before, right? You got to learn it yourself." 
Because well, I know players that for have all those all those them. stories about kids who got the gaming stuff, and then it was like a year later before they found a group to play with. Yeah. Well, here's your activity for the years coming up with those five versions of how to stop. There, there you go. Pretty much. Come on, yeah. come on mom and dad. I got to put you through another play test. <laughs> so I had, um, I think I had three, three things I would change. There's a couple of um, sort of what I would, I, I'll call them lazy writing, but they're sort of the old school. Like, so one of them is there's the, in the bat cave it says the opening of the ceiling which will be totally inaccessible to any and all attempts by adventurers to reach it it's like well this is a world where people can fly so give me a break <laughs> and and similarly there's the exit which you can't come back in and that, that yeah that's a permanent yeah. magic spell upon the exit totally prevents movement into the complex via the opening we like, agree a, yeah we yeah there's a few things like that that i would just kind of iron out and you know maybe think about enough to make them interesting okay yeah i want i actually want to give them a potion of fly so they can get out that hole or i want to think about you know what happens if they try to go back in in and out of that entrance and there's a few other things like that just little little nitpicky stuff and then the other things are you know like the statues and the uh the sort of the the red herrings that don't lead anywhere interesting flesh those out a little bit but the main one and mike uh, i think we talked about this earlier when you're saying what you're working on is i want to see the main characters show up and mm -hmm. you know i i, I want this to be part of a big scenario. story you know i want you to go in like it's fun in the adventure it does say a few times you know if you take the guy's uh, headboard which has his name on it and you try to sell it in the village there will be trouble because people will know where it came from and i didn't know why there would be trouble i mean yeah there's this place up here that they don't live in anymore yeah they're, they're gone they're, they're yeah. gone like, I mean, come on that's what adventurers do right yeah. they go and they steal shit and they sell it in the market but for some reason <laughs> it's going to get you in trouble but it's not explained how it will get you in trouble and that i think is really where the fun is is when those two dudes come back you've made it to level five or whatever by then <laughs> and and now they they, you, they want you, their headboard back. house you looted our house. This is what we heard. Uh, exactly. Oh, oh, was that me? Oh, yeah, that was you. Was that me? Oh, <laughs> shit, sorry. <laughs> I went there looking for some uh, some prisoners that had escaped, and I just took your headboard while I was... You know, Dude, you, was... you've been gone like 20 years. Come on, man. Exactly. It's got to be a statute of limitations here. Come on. Yeah, so I think I think that... But I think bringing in the big picture is really what I, I want to do. Is there's so much fun. Like they, There's such a great setup here and zero payoff. And uh, so that would be my big one. Was, it's was... kind of a cheat, isn't it? That you don't find out that there's no payoff with Zelgon. And that is a cheat right. that there's no Zelgar and Rogan at the end. Or, you, or any idea. Or, or a way to follow to them. It. Like maybe they maybe they left some notes about saying we went to the Barbarian Kingdom because we found this demon in our basement. In order to placate the demon, we needed to go pick up, uh, you know, uh, this is to steal something from somebody else. But, to, you know, take the blue jewel and bring it back <laughs> uh -huh. to the demon. Yeah. And you know, like I really wanted that um, that storyline in there, and so I, I would definitely make that happen. And it was because it's such a well done adventure. There's a hundred and one ways to do that that all fit within what's given here in an interesting way. I mean, there's there's yeah, it's sort of mind boggling how many campaigns could start where this becomes the through line for the whole campaign, even after you go and do other stuff along the way yeah. so that was my thought on it i mean I, you know all good advice i don't have anything really new to add just the idea of you know coming up with a theme and then letting that kind of guide you on what you put where and what you edit out or or and you know obviously there's a lot of spots that need televised like we talked about with the 
the chips and stone off the pillar there that <laughs> give you special properties and all that. It's, you know, putting some little things in there to help players think about doing those weird things that would be useful. Um, I think I've always played it as either a situation where the characters just stumble upon this and then they, it's just an exploration kind of thing. Or the other big one I always use is, uh, you know, a giant or an Etten of a low level, you know, like a hill giant or something, uh, stealing things from a village and, and having made like a, a kind of a the layer there in the in the bottom part there by the bat cave and uh, and the players kind of try to track him down and end up finding the entrance on the other side, uh, the upper floor entrance cool. and moving on through. So um, it's a great game. It's uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't own it, uh, you know, it's a classic. You got to take a look. And by the way, I'll probably be running this. I, I, so I used to, I ran this every year of North Texas until the, until the plague year, until uh, COVID. <laughs> and then I haven't run it the last two years, but I, I'm going to start running this again next year. So I'll, I will run it next year's North Texas. So maybe I'll try it, and play it, in it. Yeah. Give, fun. It, give it a chance. I'll make it, I'll make it fun. It's always a blast. I promise I'll run away from every encounter. What <laughs> 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 like you're supposed to do. I'm going to run from everything. I'll be gone. Run away. It's like God intended. <laughs> All right, well, that uh, that brings us to the last segment of the uh, episode here. Hey, hey, you! Do you have any geek credit? Now, this is a little unique here. We got we got two players. Both Eric and Mike will be allowed oh. to discuss the questions and oh, come with a uh, come up oh, with boy. a single answer. Uh, for these five multiple choice questions. But before we get to that, we do need to find out. Uh, we got, what, four different writers? I'm going to say we have four, right? Your your conversation counts yeah, at Gen we, Con with Michael A. Yeah, I think I got right. a way I can contact him. So, yeah, we got four. All right, I've got a D4 here. I'll go ahead and roll it. Oh, and by the way, uh, John Williams, you did write in last time, and you did win, and you should have got a prize, but I forgot to send your uh, address over to Bill. So you'll yeah, uh, be getting that uh, as soon as I can get that to him. So the die came up as a two, which is Banjo Destructo. So not only is he a, a hosted author on Goodman Games, but he's going to win something from our collection here. Uh, Lou, do you want me to – oh, was Bill going to – I think Bill was going to send some really nice treasure. Cool. He had something in well, mind. I know the last one he was going to do because he had the sign. Oh, that's right. Okay, so, okay. Are you, are you grabbing something? I don't know. He disappeared. Oh in yeah, I've got. A, I have a. I have a copy of James Shields' uh, Mace Ooh, Monster nice. and Character oh. Encounters, his first one. Nice. And some serious thunder just crackling in the background there. Uh, but yeah, I will absolutely. If you get me the contact for Banjo Destructo, I will send them a copy of Mace. Right, if, so. if Mike and Eric are up to the challenge. Oh, now, dude. Lou, I... Um, All the pressure on us, great. I did not do my homework. Uh-oh. So I'm really counting on you as the person <laughs> oh, who boy. does a good job on this thing. Do you have five questions or you want me to find some questions? I, I do not have five. I, I, had, I had two thinking that you guys would fill in the other three. I know. I, I figured and between I you and Bill, we'd have plenty. The third one, uh, realizing that Bill had abandoned us. <laughs> okay. All right. So... Uh, and what did we, we said start, this is this is all yeah. going to be on general on RPGs, right? Yeah. That's what we were allowed to. That's, and I feel yeah, like I'm, I'm the RPG wrong knowledge. person to be. Anyway, okay, carry on. All right, so I'll start with one. And uh, I thought this was a really good question, but uh, earlier in the episode, uh, I think you indicated you already knew the answer. Uh, oh. So I'll, I'll ask it, and you'll get a free point, I guess. All right, so um, In Search of the Unknown was one of the only right. TSR modules to have the unique 
fill in the monster and treasure yourself uh, in its encounters. What other module featured the same format for its first printing? Do you need the list? <laughs> I, I the, no, this is this is this is the orange B three, the one that was recalled. Yeah. And then... Palace of the Silver Princess. Very Ooh, good. All right, ding ding ding, one point. This is, this is easy, Eric. We got this. <laughs> if he keeps asking us questions, we already know this is perfect. Yeah, if he doesn't, yeah. Oh. All right. Um, we had a little uh little message from Eric earlier, uh, pointing us to a, a Professor Dungeon Master's um uh, uh, video where he was talking about print runs and different things, and I found that interesting. So I did some research, and um, this question is: Which of the following D and D products had the greatest print run? Ooh. Okay, so here are your choices, and, and these are um. We should say that this includes all editions of that particular product. So like, you know, fourth printing, third printing, all that stuff. All right. So okay. um, the first one is A, Candlewood Keep Mysteries. B, White Plume Mountain. C, The Complete Fighter's Handbook. Or D, Dungeon Geomorph. Ooh, this is going to be a tough one, Eric. Okay. Choices again. A, Candlewood Keep Mysteries. That's one of the more modern uh, adventures. B, White Plume Mountain. C, The Complete Fighter's Handbook. Or D, Dungeon G-Morphs. Vol uh, volume 1, I so, think. So, can so Garrick, so Candlewood Keep's the most recent. I want to say the, the recent stuff probably has about 100,000, 50, 100,000. But White Blue Mountain's been around a long time. That that was a that was during the heyday of DD 79 when I think that had like five or six printings of that. But I don't know how many were in each printing though, Eric. I, I don't know, but mm -hmm. I, I think it went through quite a few printings. And what uh, was the QE choice? A uh, complete, complete fighter's handbook, handbook, which that went through quite a few printings too. And that too. Went, and, yeah. and I think. D and D or A D and D was more popular during the era of two E than even one E. Although they did keep publishing one E stuff even in the two E era. In Dungeon Geomorphs, I don't. I don't think I, they. I, I think they, they had, yeah. I think they had a very limited print run time, probably like what seventy seven through seventy nine. I don't. I don't. I don't think I that would be yeah, in the running. I don't, I, don't I don't think. I don't think that's been no. The trick could be in here because Candlewood Keep, we might think, oh, that's a piece of garbage because it's 5e. But some of that 5e stuff, like I said, it it had print run of 50 to 100. I just don't think they had second or third printings, any of that stuff. That stuff hasn't been around to have a second or third printing. So whatever the print run of Candlewood Keep is, is probably all that's ever been printed. It may be as low as 50 to 80,000. So I, I'm, I'm, I, my choices would be White Plume Mountain or Complete Fire's Handbook. I don't know, Eric. Whatever. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm tossed between also. And I think the Complete Fighter's Handbook had a larger player base. I'll go with that. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll give that a shot then. Uh, I think our logic was not terrible on that. So. Uh, Complete Fighter's Handbook, final answer. All right. So you know, now this is a little bit dicey because there aren't just like straight up numbers for some of uh -oh. this stuff. But my, by my best research, White Plume Mountain is the winner by about twenty thousand copies. Mm, oh, that, okay. I, well, uh, those it, were the fighters choice. would have been second, and then uh, then it would go to Candlewood Keep, and then the Dungeon Geomorphs. How, how much did Candlewood Keep have? Just, just out of uh, the estimates that were given on it were about eighty thousand. Okay, that's typical. 
typical really crappy 5e last two years stuff so yeah that makes sense because they haven't put out anything that good <laughs> i think the last i think the best if i remember correctly the best selling thing the last few years the von's the strawed one right because because i yeah, remember hearing something about I how mean, well... honestly it's not too much hotter than some of the other ones uh really their, their oh, estimate wow. on it and again, it's real. I, I don't trust these numbers because it, it's got to be the award-winning Radiant Citadel. Come on, that had a terrible print. By the way, that was a horrible <laughs> print. Right, I saw Professor DM's thing on that. I think it only sold twenty-five thousand. That was yeah. that was a terrible print run because it was but, a but terrible then product. You got to so. remember that his his numbers are coming from uh, sales to department stores. Ah, well, and okay. also so, and I mean, also they Amazon be... section there, and then also game game uh, stores. You know, but also they're shop. also total numbers and so the older adventures have higher numbers he did talk about in his thing like the first four months four weeks i don't remember but he he did something to normalize some of them but like all those numbers are total sales which means if it's a five-year-old product sure it's sold yep. more than a, a one-year-old product right. i mean that's that, that's why we were thinking white blue mountain too because it's been around right. so, so since 79 so well that was a swing and a miss dang it no i mean it was it was you were you were it out, man. between yeah. the two top ones, so Edwin, you got one yet? I do, I do. Uh, so uh one of the uh this this goes back to my my early early game experiences. I had a box set of a game called Man Myth and Magic. Oh geez. Which was um I think in hindsight a bad game. I think that one could definitely <laughs> be this old dungeon to uh to uh to good credit. Uh but what I was going to ask you is which company uh published it? And I, I think will give I, you you just know? No, I think I know it. it. Um I think it was Jaquinto. Well, there you go. I, was there I, I yeah, no, he's right. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't remember yeah. but I just remember the I remember the horrible cover. Yes, it was. It was not a very good game either. But uh, no, no. <laughs> so I have. A, uh, do you have another one, Lou? Sure, sure. All right. So have one um, more too. Go ahead. Two points in. You just need a third point to get your credit. All right. Um, this one I don't think is gonna be too bad. Um, all right. So we all probably know that Gen Con is the largest uh, tabletop gaming convention in the world. Um, this local estimates, or, or I'm sorry, uh, um, re. Uh, Early estimates are saying that this year it hit uh, between seventy to seventy-five thousand attendees. Jeez. Um, but um, what would be the second biggest mm. tabletop gaming convention mm. in, the, in, the in, the United, are, in the United States or the world? A uh, world. Ooh. Um, your, mm. your choices are Origins, PAX Unplugged, or uh, Game Hole. Well, we know it's not Game Hole. I love Game Hole. It's yeah, like Game Hole is about 5,000. Gosh, Origins, I want to say, is about half of what Gen Con usually is. The PAX, PAX is... PAX is... Man, that's a that's a wild card. I, I went to PAX South once. It was pretty well attended, but I don't think that was even half Gen Con when I went to PAX Unplugged. Um, has Origins and Tenets been going up the last few years? I mean, I don't know that it up, has. But I don't know what the numbers are. It was, it was, it was. People talk about it finally, but people weren't talking about Origins for for a long time. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, I'm going to say I would say Pax because that go, seems to be the the hottest one on the block. I think nowadays yep. is Pax. All right, again, man, you were right at the precipice there. Uh, <laughs> 
So by by a slim amount, about ten thousand um, origins is attended. Uh, uh, at uh, recent estimates, are about twenty to thirty thousand for origins. Packs is uh, between ten to fifteen thousand. Wow. Okay. I would have thought it was more packs. Big, yeah. So is that yeah, the, is the big the big con in uh, I think it's in London, but in England yeah, is that UK Expo? I, I did. I took it. I, I was, was there because Dragon, it was real it close Expo, maybe. to yeah. uh, to origins. And I thought, well, that's splitting hairs because it's it's like twenty one thousand to twenty five thousand. So well, some of those European cons bring in a lot. Numbers. So yeah. I think uh, I think a spiel is like, well, the, well, spiel is all kinds of games. That's like a that's, that's a lot of board games. Yeah, stuff, that, right? that's that's crazy. Spiel is crazy. It's like a hundred thousand. It's it's bigger than Gen Con even. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So um, Dang it. Well, we're on the cusp. So this was this. Uh, so for a change, Lou's been asking the new stuff, and I'm asking the old stuff. So I'm going to keep on yeah. going. With Yaquinto, who, uh, oh, as we know, oh, brought us oh. that fine game of Man, Myth, and Magic. Oh, we love that company. What was their first adventure? Uh, their first uh, game, sorry. And I'm going to give you a multiple choice here, oh, so you don't have God. to. Oh, thank They're God. all multiple Ooh. choice. So we have uh, Beast Maker Mountain. Which I have. I own that. but I don't Pirates know. and Plunder. Uh, mm-hmm. Knights and Magic. And Valley of the Pharaohs. Val- the Valley of the Pharaohs is pretty old. I I used to have that. That had a really great map in there. Um, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, Yaquinta was based in DFW, if I remember correctly. I think I think they were a Texas company. Um, I'd have to look that up, but um, I'm pretty sure pretty sure Marshall Mahern might have worked there at one point. I have to ask him. But yes, they were based in DFW. Uh gosh. I don't know, Eric. Any ideas? I, I, I listen of, of the of the of the Oquinto games mentioned uh, as our choices. Valley of the Pharaohs is the only one that it's, is, it, it's it, very. It, it, it came in a really only crappy one of those box. games is by Oquinto. Oh, only, Sorry, by only one of those is by Oquinto. Oh, uh, and they are all. I think they were. Yeah, they're only, only one is by Oquinto. So it's which of those? So I could ask the question different way. Which oh, one? Is, which of those four was published by Oquinto? Uh, you said the you said the you said, you said the Beast Maker Mountain or the Beast Lord Beast Maker Mountain Pirates and oh, Plunder man. Knights and Magic Valley of the Pharaohs. I'm sorry, so Beast Maker Mountain was not Beast Lord was Quintos. So you didn't say Beast Lord. So yeah, Beast Maker Mountain I don't think is one. Um, I want to maybe Pirates and Plunder. I know I'm thinking yeah, the same. Yeah. Quinto is from Dallas, Texas. Oh wow! Okay, I knew it was. Yeah, I thought that you know it's really funny. A lot of those, it's really surprising how many like uh, Martian miniatures are based in DFW. So if I believe remember correctly, uh, there was there was actually a lot of um, heritage minis. Uh, if I I think so too it was kind of well because you always hear about like the the West Coast East Coast gaming cultures, but you you know really they're, they're it's all the Midwest, right? I mean, Southwest well, it's and... pretty dead though. I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up, um, I we didn't know anything about D and I was actually surprised when I got older to learn there was that many miniature companies, game companies in DFW. Um, so what were the, what were the games? So uh, Beastmaker Mountain's not Yaquinto. I know that. What were the other ones? Pirates and Plunder, you know, Knights and Magic, Valley of the Pharaohs. I think it's Pirates and Plunder. Eric. I will, I will second that. That's, that sounds logical. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, that is going to win it. Oh, holy banjo destructo. I almost peed myself. <laughs> that was kind of a guess there. I don't I remember did much prepare about a bonus question Plunder. just in case and oh, just, good. just for giggles here. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. The original um, monochrome cover art 
for In Search of the Unknown is signed This and That. What artists made that monochrome image? This uh, and That. It's Trampier and yep. Dave Sutherland, if I remember correctly. De Trampier, De yeah. The Trampier, Tramp, and, uh, and Dave, I think, did that. Yeah. Huh? Very good. All that right, was, guys. Yes, well, it's DAT. DAT uh, Banjo yeah, Destructo. Yeah. They have they've pulled it out of the fire. You're getting the uh, Mace copy. It's an excellent monster book. Uh, good for OSC, OSR, BX, all this stuff. You can you can throw those monsters right in, in search of the unknown. Um, wrapping things up. Uh, the um, the sign up. The the um, Oh, what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, the sign up, right? The sign up for North Texas is live. You can go it's live. And yes. get registered for that convention, get your hotel space. Got get, my hotel uh, room. We're, 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 we're going uh, to sell out this year. We are going to sell out this year. We sold out last year. We came close to selling out last year, 400, yeah. 480, and we had 60 walk-ups. So we have a we, we, We're going to sell out. We're, we'll sell out this year. So uh, and we're only in August, and we've already sold almost 200. So, wow. yeah, you're, you're going to want to get in there. And the great thing about it is if you buy it, and you can't go next year, we roll it over to the year after. So um, even if you're not 100% sure you can go next year, go ahead and buy it and get it, you know, get it done. And maybe you can go this year or next year. Or I'm sorry. You heard promises on this very program that you can play in Search of the Unknown with <laughs> yes, Mike Badlock. That's right. I, now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little humble brag here. Well, it's not even humble. It's just a brag. Um, every year that I ran Search of the Unknown, it's, it was the first game that sold out as soon as the uh, time opened for it to sell out. So I don't know why, because I don't think I'm that awesome. Because Mike but... buys all five tickets himself. <laughs> there you go, right there. <laughs> Boom. I make sure that thing sells that quick. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I am going to run it this year. But it'll be it'll be fun. Eric, uh, Eric's going to run something this year. He's yeah. promised to run something. Uh, what, and what have I promised to run, Mike? Um, fantasy trip. Something. Fantasy yeah. trip, correct? Fantasy yes, trip. he's, he's going to run trip. fantasy trip. You're, you're honest to the fantasy trip, huh? I'm going to run it. That's awesome. So... I'll have to start doing some play online playtesting beforehand, but yes, I believe you two guys are going to run something. I'm sure. Ed oh, I'm sure I will. Very likely, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always, I always like uh, North Texas to do a little playtesting because uh, everybody's so chill there, and, and everybody's mm -hmm. got so much experience to give you good feedback. So. Oh, sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All cool. right. Well, this has been another episode of This Old Dungeon. Uh, you can catch those two guys uh, Wednesday nights, uh, 8 p.m. on uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, live for talking crit talking crit, or just go to tank cars tavern on there and there'll be a section for talking crit you can go to so and check out the other good shows too the we he has a saturday night friday night and saturday night show also so oh that's right yeah yeah it, give us the lineup here uh friday nights alternate between me and glenn as your host and the random party <laughs> which is my gaming group i've already you know you know it's it's joe the lawyer tim shorts Rob Conley, Greg Christopher, Matt Jackson. It's a random party. You don't get all. You don't get all, all those faces every week. Every other week, <laughs> you get whoever is available. So that's the why it's the random party generator. And then on Saturday night, it's uh, Rachel and myself. We do gamers health, and we talk about issues that uh, affect the lives and health of gamers. You know, it's very. It, it that's the one that recharges my batteries for the week. So I. Wait, we didn't even get into the the big old heart attack story or any of that. That's, no. that's a, oh my gosh. Whole another thing that... for another episode, I guess. Yeah, we'll hold on to that one. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, thank well, you all for joining us. Yeah, th hey, thanks for letting thank us you. on, guys. This has been great. We um that we had Lou on the show a while back. We haven't had Ed on in a while. We need to get you on there. Yeah. Anytime. All right. 
You got to surprise my Wednesday night game, but you know. Oh no, you have to call. It. Sorry. <laughs> when when, when, when your when your when your game is on a, a hiatus yes. week. Yes. All right. Yep. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, y'all. Yeah, thanks, guys. You have been listening to this whole dungeon a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! <laughs> <laughs>